Adam Curry for April 27th, 2021. This is episode number 62. And there's strong forces at work, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> it's always a miracle we get this show out at all. I'm Adam Curry in Austin, Texas. And on the other end, it is my friend, Mr. Mo Fax. How you doing, Adam? Mo, it's been quite the day. <laughs> We've had a little bit of, uh, I don't know, it's, you could call it gremlins, but I don't know. I'm, I'm starting to think that there's forces at work here that sometimes just want to make sure our show does not start. It can't stop us, so it only can delay us, but we'll, we'll get it done. This is true. Hey, Mo, it's been uh, it's been way too long. I went on vacation, so apologies that I was out of pocket. And then we uh-huh. uh, we got resituated, and we knew there was some stuff coming up that we probably wanted to discuss. So it's kind of good that we had an opportunity to wait a little bit longer for uh, today's show. How you been, though? What's uh, What's been going on with you? Everything's going pretty good. Um, just some, you know, life stuff coming at you, but... Other than that, you're saying it's going pretty good. Excellent, man. Excellent. Well, I am very excited to be talking to you again. Uh, I I miss this show. <laughs> it's like, you know, Noah Jen has been doing that for 14 years. And like, I can actually turn that off a little bit. But I was like, I like talking to Mo, man. I really miss that. Uh, so it's good. It's all good. Well, in the meantime, I have put together a nice bag for us, so if you want to get to that wheel, we can. Yeah, you bet. I'm going to reach over here. Let me get the uh, the wheel of topics here. Hold on a second. Ah, there it is, ladies and gentlemen. Okay, it's the wheel of topics. Round and round it goes. Where it stops, nobody knows. The only person who really knows what the topic for today is MoFax. Let's see what MoFax with Adam Curry 62 is going to be all about. Cults are as cults do. Cults are. Hmm. Yes. That's unexpected. That's a little uh, curveball. Cults are as cults do. Hmm. Yes. So we got to talk about the cult awoke, aka the holy cow, um, and the um, George Floyd case. And I, I said I would not talk about the case until it had wrapped. Right. And now it's time to talk about it. Um, I guess we can start off where we left off and show 40 um, politics. And jumping right to number two. On Monday, May 25th, Minneapolis police officers respond to a call about a customer using a counterfeit $20 bill. Officers arrive and pull the suspect, 46-year-old George Floyd, from his car, placing him in handcuffs. Minutes later, officers lay Floyd down beside the rear tire of a police car. An officer, later identified as Derek Chauvin, places his knee on Floyd's neck. As Floyd tells officers he can't breathe, bystanders plead for his life. Bro, he's stopping his breathing right there, bro. After approximately three minutes, Floyd becomes unresponsive. Officer Chauvin continues to keep his knee on Floyd's neck until paramedics arrive, approximately five minutes later. The incident is the latest in a series of racially charged confrontations in recent weeks, including the death of Ahmaud Arbery, the police shooting of Breonna Taylor, and a 911 call about a black bird watcher in Central Park. Man, that was episode 40. It seems like so long ago. So what we're not going to do is traumatize people with a blow-by-blow of the case. No. We're going to look at this whole situation from beginning to end, how it played out, and the symbolism that went on with this whole situation. Um, There's something that I caught, that I, two things I caught going back and listening to these clips, and this is why we revisit throwback clips, because 
it's the, the propaganda is so thick that you miss different points about it. Mm-hmm. In this uh, clip, did you listen to the pronunciation of the officer's name? Uh, I, maybe just like run it. I think maybe catching the first 10 seconds. I want you to hear it. Cause, okay, um, sure, sure. Let's pick it up. On Monday, May 25th, Minneapolis police officers respond to a call about a customer using a counterfeit $20 bill. Officers arrive and pull the suspect, 46-year-old George Floyd, from his car, placing him in handcuffs. Minutes later, officers lay Floyd down beside the rear tire of a police car. An officer later identified as Derek Chauvin. Oh, Chauvin instead of Chauvin. Chauvin. Hmm, interesting. That was their, this is their first account of how, yes. Yes, so we're going to talk about that. But first, I want to talk about the date. This was Memorial Day. Yeah. And we didn't stress that point when we covered the, you know, the 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 mayhem and the protests and everything that happened after the uh, after the um, the, the the murder of uh, George Floyd. Um, that being Memorial Day. And then later, they're trying to push this. This is according to ABC and Raleigh or ABC 11 <clears throat> as the day of enlightenment. Oh, Yes, the George Floyd Memorial Center, um, Memorial Center website says that they want May 25th to be com- uh, commiserated as the day that the world came together for a common purpose and opened the world's eyes to the plight of black Americans. And they want it to be referred to as the Day of Enlightenment. Hmm. Okay. So hmm. That, we didn't discuss that. You know what I'm saying? No, um, we didn't. We didn't. <clears throat> but when I went back listening to this clip, I was like, Chauvin? That's weird. And it was right in front of my eyes what had happened here. We know him as what now? Derek Chauvin. Chauvin, yeah. And Chauvin is spelled just like chauvinism. Huh. Yes, it is. S-C-H-A-U-V. Yep, chauvinism. Chauvinism. Where does the word come from? Chauvinisme is French and dates back to the 1830s. There was a man named Nicolas Chauvin, so the story goes, who was the most loyal soldier in Napoleon's Grande Armée. It was said that he was born in Rochefort around 1780 and enlisted at the age of 18. He served with such dedication that Napoleon himself presented Chauvin with a military award, the Sabre of Honour. Chauvin was badly wounded in the war, but remained a fanatical Bonapartist, even after Napoleon's exile in 1815 and the restoration of the monarchy. His loud and unfashionable obsession with the good old days of empire made him into an object of muckery, and his name was given to a ridiculous character in a popular play of 1831. The word crossed the channel and began to be used in English around 1870. Then, chauvinism meant belligerent patriotism, just as it did in France, rather like the English word jingoism. Okay, never expected it to go this direction, Mo. <laughs> well, we're going there early today. Yeah, I love it. I love it. We're I love coming it. right out the box with, with this because it was right in front of my face and I didn't even see it until I listened to the old clip of how they originally said his name and then they just switched it. And this is where I need to lean on you, Ed. They're, they actually have readings of how names are read, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah, phon- phonetics. What is that called when they uh, phonetic? Phonetics? Uh, no, no, no. I'm saying when the, the, the when the media passes around, say we're going to refer to. Uh, 
Oh, this uh, person in yeah, this pronunciation. Yeah, what is that called? Style guide. It's the style guide. Yes, yeah, I think that's, that's what it is. Yeah. So somewhere along the way, he became went from Chauvin to Chauvin. And when you look at who his Chauvin is and the definition of his name it's very, and how it was used. It's very subtle, but wow. Oh. The good old days of the empire and belligerent patriotism. Wow, it's a spell. A- it's a spell. It's a spell right off the bat. I'm starting to recognize him now. <laughs> Woohoo, spell. Yeah. Well, let's go ahead and dive into part two of that clip. Then chauvinism meant belligerent patriotism, just as it did in France, rather like the English word jingoism. By the 1930s, its meaning had evolved and referred to a fanatical devotion to any cause and hostility towards outsiders. It began to be used in journalism and plays, particularly when the unequal position of women in society was being discussed. But it was in the 1960s and 70s that the use of the word chauvinism really took off amongst feminists. The term male chauvinist pig became popular, turning up in films and magazines, including Playboy. Use of the word chauvinist peaked in the 1980s. Other terms like sexist and misogynist have risen in use more recently. But it is President Trump's slogan, America First, that really harks back to the original meaning of chauvinism. Uh. One that the apocryphal Nicholas Chauvin might even recognize. If he ever really existed, that is. Wow. If he ever if really he ever existed. existed. <laughs> oh, now, do we have any other examples of... Uh... Derek Chauvin's name being pronounced that way, or is this the only one? I this the only one, and this, like I said, this is the when the first account that I pulled for um for show forty. This that was the official timeline for NBC News, right? And and that's how they pronounced it, Chauvin. Um, but he has become Derek Chauvin, and you said a spell, and you're correct. And the uh, appropriate term is called a, a sigil. That's something that can go past your uh, conscious mind to your subconscious mind. A sigil? You call that a sigil? Yes, yes I think it's S-I-G-I-L. Sigil. Huh. And hmm. what it does, it's like a meme. It goes past... We It's been right in front of our face this whole time. <laughs> wow. But when you look at it, it's like, oh, Chauvin, Chauvinist. And then you rang your bell. What did you catch when you rang your bell? Uh... Chauvinist pig. Chauvinist pig. Yes, Chauvinist pig. And then later, of course, uh, they brought in uh, President Trump. As, yeah, but as what I'm saying is pig. chauvinist pig. Yeah. Police officer. Police officer. Oh, now, Mo, come on. This is this is too much coincidence. Well, now we got to go and look into why do people sometimes call police officers pigs? Unlike so many other nicknames for the police, such as cops and the fuzz, this particular term has a relatively well-known origin. You see, starting around the 16th century, pig began being used in English as a derogatory term for people, whether the police or not, as it is still sometimes used today. It took about three more centuries, but this particular insult inevitably became a popular nickname for oft-insulted police officers, with the first documented reference to this being in the Dictionary of Buckish Slang, University wit and pickpocket eloquence published in London in 1811. In it, the pertinent line in question is, the pigs frisked my panny and nailed my screws, meaning the officers searched my house and seized my picklocks. Hmm. 
So w- what I'm just saying is when you see his name, Derek Chauvin, yeah, you think Chauvin, Chauvin is, is pig. the pig. Now, when I was growing up, I heard my mom say this sometimes. Did you ever hear Mama Fax say that, talk about someone being a chauvinist pig? Yes. Yeah. Yes. I've heard both terms used, actually. So. <laughs> I bet. <laughs> not, by, not, not, by, not by Mama Fax. No, no, no. But no, I've heard both. But when you put it together, it, it tells how they want to paint him. And it's, Derek. It's, it's so interesting because I do recall thinking this when it all first came down like oh that's that's a coincidence chauvin chauvinist mm-hmm. uh and that's because- the belligerent patriot that longed oh, for the good man. old days yeah who is hostile to outsiders i mean it, it, okay <laughs> all right all right I'll, i'm along oh, for the ride i'm holding on holding on for dear life we, if we if we're opening up like that we got to go back to show uh 40 and yeah. that's uh nbc news too On Tuesday, May 26th, the Minneapolis Police Department releases a statement saying Floyd physically resisted officers. What we saw was horrible. This man's life matters. The mayor announces all four officers involved in the arrest have been fired. And the Minnesota Bureau of Criminal Apprehension and the FBI announced they will also be investigating the arrest. To be clear, the Department of Justice has made the investigation in this case, a top priority. Hundreds of people gathered in Minneapolis on Tuesday night to decry the death of Floyd. Police officers in riot gear fire rubber bullets at the crowd. Mm. So I want, just want to count. We just land out what happened for people that maybe have been uh, under a rock and yeah. don't know about this case. And it ended up with uh, Derek Chauvin getting convicted with the max amount of counts that he could get in this case. Um but I feel personally there was no justice, and I'm going to lay out that. Well, we know what that word means or <laughs> what it lends to, but right. well, I just a, don't think that. There is another term that I've picked up on, and I'm sure this will come later down the road, but uh, this term accountability has been yes, bugging Yes, equity me. as well. Yeah, yeah. Well, equity, so, so. I, I know, but I keep hearing accountability, and you know, it's like, mm-hmm. what, what? How does this work into it? We'll get there, I guess. Yeah, well, we'll get there. But what I want to say is this, that the reason why I don't feel like there's justice, because no matter what, how you look, what lens you looked at this case from, the appropriate uh, charge and or um, reason for his death was not fully uh invest, not what I'm saying, not investigated, but wasn't fully explored. It wasn't fully explored because uh, where are we at? We're okay. We, we're recounting. He had three co-conspirators, if you want to use that word now. I mean, since he's been convicted. Right. It was the three other officers. But th- what they did was they're nowhere to be found because one, I don't think they're good for optics. One guy looks kind of black. Yeah, the other, <laughs> guy's the other guy is Asian. You yeah. see what I'm saying? Yeah. So these yeah. don't, they were just like, let's put out the belligerent patriot. <laughs> put him up front and what we're going. Yeah, exactly. For a sacrifice. And they, a lot of this show is going to be surrounded about around sacrifice because there were two sacrifices that happened in, in this situation. And we're going to explore both of them. But I guess we can go into the new t- details on officers. 
Those alarming new details emerging about the other three officers on the scene with Derek Chauvin during George Floyd's last moments. Alex Perez joins us with the latest from Minneapolis on that part of the story. Good morning, Alex. Hey, good morning, Amy. Well, for the first time, we may be learning what the defense argument for these other officers involved in the case may be. Now, those other officers, Ato Tao, J. Alexander King and Thomas Lane, all made their first appearance in court Thursday. They're each facing multiple charges, including aiding and abetting second-degree murder. Two of them in court, shifting blame to veteran officer Derek Chauvin, the one seen in that horrific video digging his knee into Floyd's neck. The attorneys for King and Lane telling the judge that they were both rookie officers when the incident occurred with George Floyd, both on the job full-time for only a handful of days. King's attorneys is saying he told the other officer, quote, you shouldn't do this. And Lane's attorney saying he asked Chauvin, shall we roll him over and that he performed CPR on Floyd in the ambulance. Now, Chauvin has not yet appeared in court, but those other three officers are being held on a million dollar bail. His own team sent him up the river. Yeah. <clears throat> and, and, it, and from the imaging and the recording of the, of the situation, there was three officers with their knee on his back at one time or another. So we're, we're, I'm gonna explain, let me, let me, let me illustrate where I'm going with this. No matter how you saw the case, because I know this country is very divided on this case. Half of them say that the guy was guilty of murder. And the other half says, well, it was other factors that we will explore later that were played into the death of George Floyd. Which what I'm saying is no matter which way you fall on this, either if you're going to say he was murdered, then you have to look at these other officers as well. Uh, certainly, yeah, certainly based upon the video. Uh, evidence and uh, yeah, because what I'm just saying, I'm like, so what we're gonna look at first. If you fall on that side, this is why you didn't receive the appropriate definition of justice, and then we'll explore the other half later in the show. If you think it fell the other way, because what I'm just saying is, well, the way I saw this case play out, there was no justice in this case <laughs> at all. At all. I mean, I'm going to explain why. Now, this next clip comes from show 40, and this is Judge Janine Pirro, and she's on Fox News, and she tends to be on the conservative side. A little bit. And this was a little bit, a little bit. And what she does is she, what she's going to point out is what how I felt about the situation. Uh, so people can be clear on that. And it's just strange that, I'm going to say this. It's very few people that think that Derek Chauvin didn't play a role, play a role in the death mm-hmm. of George Floyd. Mm-hmm. Now it's like on that spectrum, what was his level of responsibility, culpability? Um, right. But I think we're all was on board, and what I'm using her clip is even on Fox News, they allowed her to go up here and say this. So that goes to show you that it was quite clear something was amiss in this whole situation. Folks, this is not just recklessness. This is not just depraved indifference to human life. This is not just an intentional murder. This is premeditated murder one. Chauvin was reminded over and over again that he was snuffing the life out of George Floyd. He was reminded by George Floyd begging and wailing for his life. He was reminded by the witnesses and passersby. He was reminded as he felt the life of George Floyd being expelled under his knee. 
This is not a man who didn't comprehend or understand the depravity. Again and again he was called upon to stop, to check, to roll him off his back, to check his pulse, to see that his nose was bleeding, to put him in the car. At every one of these points, his attention was drawn to what he was doing and he had a chance to stop. Every one of these alerts was a trigger that alerted him to the consequences of his actions and was a point of premeditation after which he made the conscious decision to continue. And I'll just say that um, when, I, when this went down, I called my buddy in Colorado, who's an EMT. Mm-hmm. And uh, I said, man, look at this. Because he had taught me this term a long time ago, which is excited delirium. Okay. And he deals with that a lot. And uh, essentially, it's someone who's overdosing on heroin or some kind of opioid, but may mm-hmm. have had um, uh, either meth or, or some PCP, you know, some other stimulant. And he says, what, what happens is this is really crazy. He'll bring people back to life with Narcan, you know, so a little, mm-hmm. uh, little shot in the nose there. And, right. and they, first of all, they wake up, they're extremely angry. And they're they've like superhuman strength because they're all hyped up on uh, on some kind of uh, amphetamine, and right. it's, it's just really really difficult. And they're very. He says at that point they have almost superhuman strength. They often have to throw a hood on them because they're mm-hmm. spitting and biting and going nuts. And he said that he says that guy before there was even trouble. He says from what he saw as a professional, he said that guy was already dying. Before anything happened, before he was on the ground, before any of that stuff. So that's that's Correct. The, that's the part that that I know from uh, from what I've heard from I think pretty reliable sources. And that was like several. I mean, I heard that account on several ca- occasions. But I'm gonna. I'm, I am not speaking from a lawyer because I am not a law, l- lawyer. I'm speaking from a person that went to the law school of law and order and court TV movies. <laughs> And the, the real stuff. <laughs> no, because what, what I'm saying that that is what shapes people's perception absolutely, absolutely. of the law. And I'm not. That's why I'm not. In this case, I'm not here to debate as far as um the technicalities or what the legal minds say. Or uh, you yeah. see what I'm saying? I'm saying you have two people, <laughs> and one is on one side saying it was murder one. Straight up and down, and all the other cops should be charged same as him. And I'm explain why in a minute. And on the other side, you have people that say more. What you're saying is he was dying anyway, and the drugs killed him. Yeah, let's just put it out there. Mm-hmm. Now, somewhere in between there is the truth. But no matter if you believe on the one ca- one hand or the other hand, neither one of those received justice in this case. That's my point. I'm trying to make. I got you. Nobody can leave this case happy <laughs> because if he truly did die of drug overdose, then we need to go and find out who sold him the drugs and charge them with murder one. Because we've seen this with, uh, what's the guy name? Uh, um, kind of ch- chubby guy, actor, uh, wore glasses. He died of a heroin overdose. Uh, Philip Seymour um, Hoffman. Correct. When he died, <laughs> they went and arrested four other people for his death. Yeah, well, he was a Hollywood actor after all, huh? <laughs> it, it's, that's my thing, but this is not just, he should, 
George Floyd should get the same justice that he got. You see what I'm saying? Of but that's course. what I'm saying. Nobody could be happy in this. Yeah, and if you. you're going to put this, if you're going to hang this on Derek Chauvin, the blue line needs to stick with him. Yeah. But that goes to show you that they rolled on him and said, no, it's all on him. Which we know this, from my perspective, this was all, uh, I wouldn't say, I'm not one of those people that go out and say, oh, they planned this on this date. They do have this happen. There are there are that group out there that say that. Mm-hmm, <laughs> I sure. don't really follow in that group. I don't poo-poo that as well. I mean, who knows as crazy as this world is. But what I'm just saying is they looked at all these things and they highlighted all of these things because guess what? When you look at it, it's perfect balance on both sides because you mm-hmm. can look at it through whatever lens you look through and you're going to be pissed off at it. And that was the whole purpose that's, of it. That's always, that's, yeah, that when you'd assume, assume that to be the point. Right. That's what I'm saying. That's why no justice was really had because mm-hmm. if it was a, like, I'm just going to recount this one because I know people are a lot in their emotions right now. And that's why I didn't talk about this case, you know what I'm saying, from this perspective until it was over mm-hmm. because I wanted people to see how it played out. And you have a conservative judge here, Janine Pir- uh, Pirro. On Fox News, which is which is to believe to be conservative, we know. You know I'm saying we, we know, know the how Democrats goes. run it. We know who's really running exactly. The show. <laughs> but what I'm saying is they're the right hand wing on this bird, and for her to come out and say that, yeah, that kind of lets you know that's that's the strength. That's the furthest extreme you can go to, and that's on Fox News. Yeah, I agree. and then on the other side, you know. If he wasn't killed by the cop, then we need more people arrested and brought to justice and charged for murder one. And you might be saying, well, Mo, murder one, seriously? Yes, number eight. I spent the last 16 years of my life in prison serving time for murder. That's right, murder. But the thing is, I didn't kill anyone. And don't just take my word for it. The judge, the prosecutor, and the jury in my case all agreed that I hadn't killed anyone. But they still sentenced me as the actual killer and put me in prison with 25 years to life. All right, I want to tell you about something called the felony murder rule. It's a glitch in our criminal justice system, a glitch we only have in the United States. And it basically says this. Glitch. Yeah. Felony murder rule. Any death which occurs during the commission of a felony is first degree murder. And all participants in that felony can be charged with and found guilty of murder. Translation, if you commit a felony and while that felony is happening, someone gets killed, you can be found guilty of murder, whether or not you killed anyone. Here's an example. Let's say you let your friend borrow your car. You know he's going to use it to commit a robbery. But then he ends up killing someone. The felony murder rule says that you're equally guilty of the murder as your friend. This actually happened to a guy named Ryan Holly. Instead of going to prison for an attempted robbery, he's serving life without the possibility of parole. Or what about this? You and your friend decide to commit a robbery. As you're running away, your friend is shot dead by the police. The felony murder rule says that you are going to prison for his murder, even though it was a cop who killed him. Wow. Okay, now now you now you see why I says no justice yeah, yeah. had in this case. Didn't they try to didn't they try to lay this on President Trump or something too? I I recall vaguely there was something like this. Of course, I mean I'm sure they tried to. Of course, <laughs> makes sense, right? Yeah, they tried it, make, it all. Makes complete sense. <laughs> yeah, but what I'm what I'm trying to illustrate to people is this. Okay, say it was manslaughter. At the point it became manslaughter, those other people in, in commission of that crime. If you're going to charge all of them. 
by the felony murder rule, you had yeah. to give him all murder one. Right. Or if you're going to say drugs killed him, then you need to go and find the people that committed the felony. You're saying that, like I said, um, if you want, if, yeah, if you want complete justice, th- th- yes, absolutely. right. But yeah. I thought that's what we were striving for here. <laughs> <laughs> Please, you didn't, you didn't really think that, did you? No, what I'm, what I'm saying is by the people who was pushing the narratives. Yeah, yeah. And I'm, they left us right where they wanted us at right now. <laughs> On, it's the perfect illusion. It's that blue dress. Black dress kind of thing. Yeah, blue dress, it's like, no, dress. Yeah. Yes. No matter what angle you look at it, it's, and you're not going to be happy. And we're, we're, I'm going to give you this, the perspective of how, you know what I'm saying, I look at as a black man, and I very rarely say that on, you know what I'm saying, on this show. Mm-hmm. But the reason why I say that is because I have to tell and communicate why people are so frustrated. When we watch First 48 television shows, It'll be a case where three black kids go do a B and E, and they start an old lady. She falls over with a heart attack, and they all go down with murder. Murder one. Got it. So when you set that standard, you got You got to hold. <laughs> it, you got to keep it. You got to keep the standard. Well, it's not even about keeping it. What it is is that that's what shaped these our minds. Now, I mean, of course, I know there's shades of gray. I'm saying of of you know there's shades of gray. But what I'm saying is, when I look at this case, I'm like. Why did you give those three uh, okay. kids murder one? Uh, let me let me translate. Let me translate. Yes. So, and I'll use the term as a black man. You look mm-hmm. at this. You're used to hearing the second part of the sentence, which is, "Well, because the old lady died, you're getting murder one. You're all going. You're all going to jail." And you've heard that. I think this. That's what the you're felony. We, we, if you watch the show First Forty Eight. Which is very popular amongst yeah, the fans, so called well, black I'm, people. I'm, I'm too I'm too busy watching uh, the Oscars. I got no time for no. that. No, <laughs> well, you might want to want to do that. It was only no, me, by the this, way. <laughs> it's this show. Yeah, you and like three other people. Uh, but what I'm saying is, um, and what we, why we have this show is to have these conversations. Yes, yes. So people can first seek first to understand, then to be understood. You know, um, have empathy for and, both and, sides. And, and so that's my point because as a white man, I get to say it. Um, I yes. don't. I don't. I, I've never really even heard this. So you've been exposed to it for obvious reasons much more than I have. Is that is that a fair assessment? Yeah, I mean that's just. I'm, I'm not saying I'm out here doing B and E's. I'm talking about what the media shows me. Yeah, week after week on a television show that you're saying mostly is dominated by the presence of young black men. Yeah, I've never seen go, First like Forty Eight. I've never seen can, it. I'm, so I'm I have no idea. The, the most disgusting example was this: one guy calls up his friend to say, "Hey." You know anybody got any weed? And the dude was like, yeah, I know somebody got weed. He takes him over to the guy's house. He sits in the car. The guy goes in, buys the weed, robs and kills the people in the house. They both get murdered one. Wow. Just like that. Yeah. Okay. I and see, so if I that's what problem. shapes your perspective, it's like when you see this case and you see four cops involved, nine minutes on his back, nobody says pulls him out. Like, come on, Derek. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's some bull crap. You yeah, know what I'm saying? I, hey, Derek, it's, I don't want to get murder one. <laughs> right. So that's what I'm saying. It's not just justice not to be had because what they had was perfect. They had two sacrifices to put up on the cult. We're saying for the cult to woke the holy cow. Yeah. yeah. And it was like, it worked perfect. I know I talked a lot here, but I'm trying to. No, no, I, I, I got it. I know. I know that. No, I have to say, I know there's some people on both sides right now that are pissed at me. Maybe. But what I have to do, I, I don't care. I mean, you know me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, I truly don't care because. 
I understand what this is meant to do. And if you're allowing that to do it to you, then you're, you're a victim. And I actually feel empathy for you. It's not, I'm angry at you because you're angry at me because I'm not going to regurgitate talking points. Well, this, We're going to look at this case. Well, this is what I this is what I love about the show, Mo. Is like you're you're first of all you're giving me something uh, that I hadn't thought about. You know, it's like I I never even, I, I don't even know about this part of justice, uh, and that's on me. But it, this is exactly the kind of show where we can have these conversations, and uh, and I love it that you that you say there's no justice on either side. That's the important part. That's what people need to understand is we're all being played. That's the whole point. That's the whole point. And so, I mean, not to you saying you're saying straight too far, but I just want to lay that out, mm-hmm. just so everybody understands where we're going with this show, and you know, yeah. and, and you know, understand. So, I think we stopped at uh, uh, nine's up next. Yes, please. By Wednesday, as protests spread nationwide, George Floyd's sister, Bridget Floyd, calls for justice. I would like for those officers to be charged with murder. By Thursday, new video reveals the three officers were on top of Floyd during the arrest. Governor Tim Waltz activates the National Guard. On the third night of protests, crowds gather outside the third police precinct in downtown Minneapolis. The standoff soon spirals out of control, with officers evacuating the police station just after 10 p.m. local time as protesters enter the building. The police precinct, as well as several buildings in the surrounding neighborhood, are lit on fire. Several businesses are looted. There's this smoke shop, then there's a liquor shop, then there's the street, and the police station is right across the road. So we're 500 feet from the front of the police station. There are fires burning in different directions around me. There's another fire over there. Yes, the summer of love. Yeah, and, and that's the thing. This thing was not. This thing was not only about a, a presidential election. This is about the way the world's going to go. And that you might think that's grandiose, but it's really it's not. Because if this doesn't happen, um, I think the pandemic wasn't enough to get Trump out of office. Mm. I really don't. Because, I mean, at the end of the day, the money came back. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I mean the stock market went down, but it came back. Yeah. And it's like, well, <clears throat> it's like, well, you know, it wasn't an economical thing. It was just this constant uh, pressure from this case. And then everything stacked on top of it. And we talked about the three waves and how it was strategically laid out in 40. Well, yeah, um, you actually had multiple waves. You had the three waves of, uh, of the protests. But at the same time, that's where we had. We had coronavirus waves and we had media waves discrediting everything the president said. And it, it was a pile on that was crazy. And and the world stopped, so mm-hmm. you had nothing mm-hmm. to do but fixate on it. Right. You know, that was part of it, too. Yeah. That it's like, I'm stuck in my house all day, and all on the airways is <laughs> I'm, nothing I'm bored but... A, I'm bored in the house. I'm in the house bored. Right. That's exactly right. So <laughs> Even I'm just gonna, I was I'm watching just, TikTok. <laughs> and, 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 and in that case, I mean, in that clip, they said three officers had his knee on his back. Yeah, so they all now you see how that. the narrative changed. Mm-hmm. And I'm not, I'm not saying that uh, Derek Chauvin wasn't the initiator and the main culprit in this situation. What I'm saying is, I thought it was ride and die together. Right. No, I guess not. I never seen it play out like the, the, I'm talking about from top to bottom. The law enforcement and justice apparatus turned their back on um, Derek Chauvin. And I've never seen that before in my life. And when I see stuff like that, it's like, 
that was too easy. Yeah. That. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you're making a good point. So I'm, I mean, I'm just like, I'm only speaking from my perspective, but I, I can see it from both sides. I mean, because I under, I seek to understand the other side um, of how people may see it. Um, so I think we stopped at, uh, we got, uh yeah, 10. We're going back to episode 59. Okay, we're going back to 59. This is restoring justice where we actually define when they say what I believe when the cult the woke says um, justice, what they mean. They're not talking about the law and how the law is executed. They're talking about their goddess that's in every courtroom around the world. And we're not talking about just in America. She's around the world. Welcome to Chasing Gods, where we find meaning with symbols and myths. To judge with justice is believed to be one of the top virtues by philosophers, writers, and artists of the ancient world. From ancient Egypt to ancient Greece and Rome, justice has been personified by a goddess who not only belongs to the highest ranks of gods, but whose symbolism is even sought by them. You could imagine what justice must have meant to men. This goddess I'm talking about is Lady Justice. You've probably seen her but may not have paid too much attention. She could be a statue, an emblem, or figurine to represent justice in the legal system worldwide. She holds a scale, a sword, and at times she wears a blindfold. Oh, I thought she always wore a blindfold. That's another one I didn't catch the Mm. first time we listened to these clips. Mm. Sometimes. Interesting. I did. I, I'm glad you said it because I was going to say it, but I'm glad you picked up on it as well. And neither one of us picked up on it last time we were. No. It, and what I'm what I'm illustrating here is these. If this information is pertinent to what happens now, because these people at the higher levels believe in this, even though you may not believe in it, they believe in some wonky stuff. <laughs> yeah, mythicism, uh, Greek uh, mythology. Uh, so when you go back and look at Epstein Island, you have to see all the oh yeah the temple Egyptian, stuff. Yeah, sure, sure, the, sure. And all the things we laid out in the last sixty-one shows that point back to their uh, affinity for um, for Egypt e- Egyptian relics and signs and symbols. Um, so I just want to lay that out there as well that. When they say justice, because you're going to hear a lot in the next few clips, um, what they, I think, what my perspective, what they're referring to. Um, so we stop there. We can get back into NBC News 4. In the early hours of Friday morning, St. Paul police report that nearly 170 businesses have been damaged by vandalism, looting, or fires. Minneapolis police arrest ex-officer Derek Chauvin and charge him with third-degree murder and manslaughter. Charging papers state that Chauvin had his knee on Floyd's neck for 8 minutes and 46 seconds. Friday night, demonstrations continue across the country. Hundreds are arrested, police cars are burned, and scuffles break out between law enforcement and protesters in New York, Atlanta, Los Angeles, and more. The governors of several states announced they would deploy the National Guard to restore order. Yeah, always those cities. Always those. Every time, and they were like, "This is the big one. This is the." So, I have to look at this like I look at nine eleven, and the people that say maybe this was all planned. If this doesn't happen, if nine eleven doesn't happen, history is altered. Yeah. So, just from that perspective, you want to go out on that limb. I'm not necessarily what I'm saying. I don't have any proof or any facts to lean towards. It was, you know, uh, a planned. 
uh, scenario. <laughs> but if something like this falls in your lap, the news media knows what to do with yeah, it. Yeah, you know, the way and, I... Let me just interject for a sec. The, the, and, and there's a reason for this. So recently we had um, a cop shoot and kill three people here in Austin. Did you hear about it? I did not. No. Uh, shot and killed his daughter, her boyfriend, and a star... Uh, a uh, football player for UT who had just been recruited, a cop. Oh, I, I think I heard this case. Yeah, black cop. Yay! Problem. It, but so, no, I'm gonna tell you why I didn't hear it. I, 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 let me give you where I did hear it and why I didn't hear it. Mm-hmm. I didn't hear it in my race circle of uh, where I gather information from. I heard it in the they tried to pin it off on the manosphere. MGTOW reason. Oh, totally. Because he's totally. Yep. Yep. It was right away. It was like uh, sexual assault, uh, f- f- domestic abuse, all this stuff. And then he was a chauvinist pig. He was a chauvinist pig, but they did not play it up at all. At oh, can you imagine? Can you imagine if it was what, if it was what a white what I'm saying cop? in the anti well in the anti um uh, man circle they did, but not on the race channels. See, I mean that's right. that's. Right. That's how deep it's like. Well, yeah, he was anti man. You know, yeah. I got what you're so the reason I bring it up, I mean, anti woman. Excuse the, me. The reason I bring it up is, I I'm I'm totally with you on it's planned, and I think the way it works is okay. We're ready. We've got everything in place. All the actors are ready. Everyone we need. We just need the right case, and we've seen this several times. But, you know, when it's the we've wrong seen this case. with Brown versus. Bo- we saw this with Brown versus Board of Education. We saw this yeah. with um, uh, Claudette Coven. Mm-hmm. She wasn't in the right case. We needed um, Rosa Parks. Yeah, you know. Exactly. So I mean, don't we can't exactly exactly. And even if we and if you want to go back to the Scottsboro Boys, which I will cover in another show, that's when the communists really got a foothold in race relations in America. And so, it was like, yeah. So, so well, so I I can just see how it goes down. It's like, holy crap! We this is a good one. We got video. We got nine minutes. This is great. What's the guy's name? Chauvin. How do you spell it? Oh, no. No, no, no. Chauvin. Make it Chauvin. This is perfect. I'm sure they would just jizzing all over themselves for that. Oh, could not get any better. So that I think that was an addition later on. I doubt that that was set up and premeditated, but it mm-hmm. was just kind of fell into their lap, I think. And now this is why I geared to piss the other side off. Woo! Do I think, do I think Derek Chauvin got justice? No, I did not. Because when you heard how uh, political figures were speaking before the verdict, yeah, that's not ju- by the definition of justice. That's not justice. Normally, people say we will defer to after the trial is over to make comments. That you know I'm saying you, we've heard it all. <laughs> we've always heard this, but you know, it stuff does creep in, uh, and I think the media they pushed it so hard right away when we started this very episode. You actually said, you know, George Floyd was murdered. Yes. I, I mean, I, I've always said Janine uh, uh, Pirro, Judge, Janine, Judge, let me put it proper respect on her name, Judge Janine Pirro, we shared the same perspective that was murder one. Okay. That, that was always my, <laughs> that was always my perspective. Because the reason why I say this, and, and this is from my Law and Order, uh, First 48, Lifetime movies, law movies, legal education. Like I said, I don't. I don't read legal. <laughs> it's as good as any jury in America has had. 
Well, like like they say, perception is reality. Mm-hmm. And if I'm looking at through it through the lens of how TV has told me how these cases are supposed to go, premeditation can be simple as man come home, find his wife in bed with her lover. If he pulls out his gun, shoots both of them dead, that's not murder. Right. But if he goes downstairs, goes to the car, smoke a cigarette, come back up, kills them that's premeditated murder yeah well he had some meditation there <laughs> he had some meditation <laughs> so, time right what i'm saying is so by the judge's perspective he had nine minutes to decide i don't want to do this anymore right 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 I, i'm not going off the imagery with his hand in his pocket doing the colin kaepernick kneel see that's another simple like all of this there's a lot <laughs> all in of there. this is all of this man it's it's a it's a major spell it's a major spell cast on the world, not just America, the world, because you had riots. I said, yes, I said riots all around the world, burnings all around the world in the name of, you know, justice. In the name of George Floyd, even all around the world. In, in, well, in, was, in Holland, in Holland, they had signs. Well, it's, no, it was never about George Floyd. Well, okay. What, what I'm saying, what, this, is what, this is what I'm saying. It was never about George Floyd. George Floyd was just. We're going to get to what George Floyd was. It was that we have to do this and we're going to push for justice. And even when we got justice, we can't stop there. We got to keep continuing on for justice. Right. It's like, wait, we didn't even get justice. You know what I mean? Like, and then we're going to keep pushing for it, but we should be celebrating it. It's like, <clears throat> it's a complete mind screw. Mm-hmm. It's a complete mind screw. So where I'm going now is I don't think, cause I, I and I have to put myself in this. If I'm on the hot seat and I'm on trial, I don't want political figures speaking about on my about my case. So if I think anything other than that for anybody else, no matter what I may feel about that person, they deserve a fair day in court and they deserve um the right to, you know, for political muscle not to be leaned on their case. Because mm-hmm. if I think differently, that makes me a hypocrite. And what we do on this show is point out hypocrisy. <laughs> That's <laughs> Yeah, for sure. <laughs> it's one of our strong suits. <laughs> um, so I'm going to go to Tucker Carlson. I'm going to lean on Tucker for this one. And um, Tucker won. So there was a political context around this trial. Politics shouldn't have any effect on any trial. Again, that's antithetical to what justice is. But they did intrude at every level of this case. We'll tell you how. After the verdict, Joe Biden declared that systemic racism is a stain on this country's soul. A jury in Minnesota found former Minneapolis police officer Derek Chauvin guilty on all counts in the murder of George Floyd last May. It was a murder in the full light of day, and it ripped the blinders off for the whole world to see the systemic racism the vice president just referred to. There's systemic racism that's a stain on our nation's soul. The knee on the neck of justice for black Americans. Enough. Enough of this senseless killings. Today, today's verdict is a step forward. Systemic racism, a term that neither Joe Biden nor anyone else who uses it has ever defined with any precision whatsoever. But more striking is Biden's posture. You'd think he'd be excited by this. Just this morning, as the jury was still deliberating, the president of the United States said he was praying for a guilty verdict. I'm praying the verdict is the right verdict, which is, I think, 
it's overwhelming in my view. I wouldn't say that unless the, the jury was sequestered now. Not hear me say that. Yeah, uh, President uh, Biden throwing a little uh, cherry on top of the, the spell there. And it's the reason why they had to do this, because I think everybody or the majority of America was on. Well, if he gets his found guilty, nobody's going to cry for this guy. Right. A very small population is going to cry for this guy because it's like, eh, I mean, like some people really feel that he should have been found guilty. Other people is like, well, just to get things. It's kind of like the vaccine. Just to get things back to normal. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, you yeah, can yeah. have yourself. We need him. We need him guilty. Well, I mean, that, everywhere this people were saying this. I mean, even at Regina King, the opening of the Oscars. She said, well, I'm, I'm glad that we got a guilty verdict. Otherwise, it would have had to change these pumps for uh, marching boots. Well, that's the thing. They, they had to manufacture the outrage because there was if they would have just let it play it out and not said anything, it would have been he's found guilty. People would have been satisfied and it would have just been, you know, marked the end market to yeah, this. Yeah, this. What I believe, yeah. <laughs> what I believe in my perspective is they tampered with the case. So then there will be appeal and then you have a part two. Yes. Well, yes. Uh, and that would be uh, Maxine Waters. Yes. So I'm just saying the whole everybody they were out here saying uh, I've never uh, heard. Uh, this. Uh, okay, hold on a second because this is a good point because I the, the the general parlance was well the judge made a big deal and it was televised and and that's always important it's always important mm-hmm. what the media shows it was televised the judge saying well you know it looks like on appeal you've got grounds for dismissal because of uh, uh, Congresswoman Maxine Waters statements and and. And the, the narrative on the right, I think, was mainly, yeah, you know, it's like the jury just 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 gave it to him because he's going to get off on appeal. But really, certainly from the mainstream media, I can't speak on behalf of the judge, but the media is corrupt. They probably set that up to get have a one-two punch. Is that every great every great fight? <laughs> you got to have a trilogy. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Wow. This is this is why they, because. If they, if nobody would have said anything, it would have just been, yep, go ahead and lock him up. You know, it'll be a story over. And then, you know, right, right, I hate right, to put right. this out in the atmosphere, but you know how it ends. He gets the Dahmer treatment um, and, and cell or or the Epstein treatment. Yeah. And it's just, it's it's over. But it's like, no, no, no. no. <laughs> we got to keep this thing. Yeah, we got to keep, keep this thing going. We got to give gas in it because oh, one reason man. you got... You got 45 missing, yep. so your race sector in your news is, you're saying you have a huge void. And they, only have, like, no, yeah, and they only have about, you know, less than two years to do something. Yes. So they have to, they have to be foot on the pedal to the metal. Um, so I guess we stopped off at uh, da, 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 Tucker 1. Let's go in and go into Tucker 2. When was the last time a sitting president weighed in on a jury decision before it was made? Answer, Never. The White House was asked about this just a few hours later and pretended that Joe Biden hadn't actually said what he actually said. You're not able to clarify what is overwhelming, the evidence, the case presented by the prosecution? Uh, we're not going to get ahead of the outcome. I expect when there is a verdict, uh, he will have more to say. Okay. The president has talked about the importance of an independent judiciary. Why is it appropriate for him to weigh in on the verdict, even though the jury is I, I wouldn't think, I don't think he would see it as weighing in on the verdict. He was conveying uh, what many people are feeling across the country. Yeah, he was just conveying what many people were feeling. He wasn't weighing in as the single most powerful man in the world on a jury verdict that hadn't been reached yet. He didn't say what you saw him say. 
just as an FYI, mm-hmm. uh, first, it, it, I don't know if this is the, th- the, the three rounds, but uh, Chauvin's sentencing date set for June 1st. And, af- <laughs> and then after that, then we can go for appeal. So maybe we yeah, have a, we got a little sentencing fun to to have first. It's the it's the wave. It's like yeah, the high. Yeah, yeah. like the the pro George Floyd crowd uh, yeah. is on the high right now, mm-hmm. and then the sentencing is going to be the kick in the nads. <laughs> you know, just like the um, Botham John case, we've seen this before where the cop got convicted, but when they came back with the sentence, it was like ten years. Right. And then the double whammy is going to be, he's going to come around and appeal. Appeal, yeah. Shoot. So, I mean, I don't I don't see, <laughs> I hope it don't play out like I think it's going to play out. But then he loses appeal and then he goes in and gets the Epstein treatment. And it's like, okay, everything's wrapped up, you know. Right. Good to go. And I don't want to put that out in the ether, but we've seen this play we've out too many it. times. We've seen it, yeah. So we're just calling the trend a trend. That's all we're doing. Um, and then the, what the way they gaslight people, they knew what they were doing. Joe comes out, says it, and then she goes like, "He didn't say that." And it's like, "Wait, I just heard what I heard." I'm when I'm, I'm speaking from not from my perspective. I'm speaking from the pro um, Chauvin side to say we heard what we heard him say, and she's like, "He didn't say that." Yeah. So it's constant gaslighting to bring the temperature up on that side. <sighs> So this show is not really deconstructing anything. This show is a warning. This sh- this show is <laughs> this show is going to tell you what's coming. It's a prediction. And I hope I'm wrong. Yeah. I'm hope I'm wrong, but I understand how these things play out. I mean, I've seen it and what I mean by I understand well, how it play out. Well, you've seen it and you've tracked it, my brother. You've tracked well, it. Well, I've seen it all my adult life and what I'm yeah. saying, even a young adult, you got to remember in 95 I was 15 years old. Starting, you know what I'm saying, and then Rodney King, I was, uh, you know what I'm saying, of conscious age to see how that played out. So I see how these things playing out. But the only thing is the juice is on the other side now. Yeah. But it's still going to be the same outcome where nobody's satisfied with the outcome. And it just breeds more uh, contention for each side. Because yeah. how, how I see this ending, one side pops off, the other side mops them up. And then that side gets mopped up. Yeah. Well, that's isn't that isn't that how you want the script to always play out? If you want to right, prolong I mean, it, it's just, just keep it's it going. Convenient. Yeah, keep it it's going. It's convenient. Yeah. I, which I think, like you said, they're trying to keep this thing going to the midterms. Yeah. You know, so they can motivate you. I mean, don't I didn't I, what I was not pooing with the effect on the outcome of the election. What I'm saying is that election decided which way this world allegedly is going to go. Oh, you know, yeah. to oh, say, no, the, the midterm is going. There has to be a slaughter somewhere in the midterm, whether it's the actual voting itself or something beforehand, for sure. Mm-hmm. They're desperate. These people are desperate. They're desperate to to get something kicking, distract at all costs, make the people feel at all costs while while executive order after executive order gets signed, and our, you're saying everybody yeah. gets put in the boot. Yeah, and and I want to make one more thing. Tucker said that he hasn't. Uh, nobody has clearly defined systemic racism. Well, you haven't heard our podcast. <laughs> yeah, excuse me. <laughs> and we know your producers listen to us anyway, so you might as well go back to uh, what episode? Was it early, uh, early first ten, maybe we we just yeah, that? first ten. We laid it out there, which we say by the definition from Nelly Fuller, white supremacy is a one world government. And and the hard thing about it is kind of hard to be a truther and believe in is there's a globalist and a system and not believe you know 
Yeah. Um, but that's what we cover within the Meghan Markle. Yep. It's like it's not about color. It's about it's a certain group of people that it's have power over everybody. It's the and as we always say, color. it starts with us. It only starts with us. Oh yeah, I'm well aware, Mo. <laughs> well aware. So, so I'm just now. I have an example of how these things normally are handled when a trial is pending. I have uh, Obama speaking on Trayvon. Well, I'm the head of the executive branch. And the attorney general reports to me, so I've got to be careful about my statements to make sure that we're not uh, impairing any investigation that's taking place right now. (laughs) However. Uh, But obviously, this is a tragedy. Uh, I can only imagine what these parents are going through. Uh, And when I think about uh, this boy... uh, I think about my own kids, and you know, I think every parent in America uh, should be able to understand uh, why it is absolutely imperative that we investigate every aspect of this, and that everybody pulls together, federal, state, and local, uh, to figure out exactly how this tragedy happened. But my main message is, is uh, to the parents of uh, Trayvon Martin. Um, you know, if I had a son, he'd look like Trayvon. And, um, you know, I think they are right to expect that all of us as Americans uh, are going to take this with the seriousness it deserves and that we're going to get to the bottom of exactly what happened. Now, is this not the... <clears throat> The speech that the president did at the time with a tear in his eye. No, that, that was that wasn't the one. I don't think he cried for Trayvon. He oh, cried no, Sandy, for the, uh, Sandy, Sandy Hook. Hook. Sandy Hook. No, right. black kids don't get tears. Come on, come <laughs> not, on. Not from President Obama. No. <laughs> no. Uh-uh. I know. I mean, <laughs> which that, that no. And I said that. I know. I said that tongue in cheek, but that was a sentiment. Like, oh, you can cry for them. Oh, I bet this. But I bet you can't was. cry. I bet it was a sentiment. Sure. And, and in this show, I'm going to expose a lot of how the sides felt it's come uh, you know it's because what that reason why i know is not for the emotional effect it's for when you see something you process it and it's like okay that's how you wanted me to feel mm-hmm. okay that's the initial hit <laughs> it's like wait why did you want me to feel like that well, there was an- and so there was another funny thing about about this particular case as, as i was looking at from my perspective this before we had met <clears throat> um was the fact George Zimmerman and this immediate assumption as to him being white. And when he turned yes. out to be Hispanic, it became a nope. little more problem. He was white. Yeah, I'm I mean, sorry. I, I know, I know <laughs> what you're saying, but yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. But that that's was how white. you get thrown. Yeah. That's the narrative. We can't yeah. let the facts get in, get in, no, <laughs> get in the way of a narrative. No, 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 no. But exactly. why? Okay. So why wasn't that an example of a heinous Brown on black, uh, uh, crime? Because that's not a thing. Like they're pushing on the black on Asian. You see how that we see? <laughs> it's not a thing, man. It's not a thing. Brown on black is not a thing. It's not a thing. Black on Asian, that's a thing. We all know this. And we highlighted that how long ago on the first um, pandemic show we had. Because yeah, um, right. I just I just got to point this out. That um, what, what is her name? Um, your favorite lady from XM Radio. Uh, oh, uh, um, uh, not Valerie. Um, Karen Hunter. Karen Hunter. 
Remember she just came out with that weird statement about the Kung Flu and it was, you know, completely racist and we had that whole talking point come up? Yeah, sure. And then now we see it in effect. What you're seeing, and I'm just got we're going to cover this on another show, but what you're starting to see is Asian people will start being grafted into whiteness. Yes, the, just like the they, Irish yes, and the Italians yes, yes. were. Well, they are, they uh, they are considered white adjacent. Uh, as yeah, but anyway, that's how you start out. That's the JV team. Yeah, you're yeah. saying to you earn way on the varsity. And, and you know, and on no agenda, we got tons of um, uh, we got tons of uh, uh, I call them the amps, the Asian millennial producers. And they're, and they're, they're, they're telling me all this stuff. So, oh, yeah, no, now we're white adjacent. And they're sick of it, man. They think it's all bull crap. Well, they're, they're, they are being... Uh, Abused. <laughs> made the victim. Yeah. I mean, you have to be the victim. It's yeah. like, okay, now we can put you in the group. But I don't want to digress too much. But I just want to lay that out because we did point it out way yeah. ahead of time. Um, we now did. we got to go back. I believe we're on Tucker 3. Yeah, he was just conveying what many people were feeling. He wasn't weighing in as the single most powerful man in the world on a jury verdict that hadn't been reached yet. He didn't say what you saw him say. If that sounds like a familiar defense, it's exactly what Maxine Waters and her defenders throughout Washington are using today after Waters threatened the jury with violence if it didn't find a guilty verdict. We have got to not only stay in the street, but we have got to fight for justice. But I am very hopeful and I hope uh, that we're going to get a verdict that can say guilty, guilty, guilty. I don't know whether it's in the first degree, but as far as I'm concerned, it's first degree. Well, we, we got to stay on the street uh, and we've got to get more active. We've got to get more confrontational. We've got to make sure that they, they know that we need this. So there's a reason police were all over the streets and cities across the country last night, and it's that. It's the threat of violence. And Maxine Waters threatened violence before the jury had even begun to consider the facts of the case. That's so far over the line that we read some Democrats were shocked by it, and yet no one condemned it. That includes the president, and it includes the most powerful people in the Democratic Party, the Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, Steny Hoyer of Maryland. They came out in support of Maxine Waters. Yeah, it was truly bizarre. And, and no, I mean, I expected it. And the reason why I said it is Maxine Waters is the perfect pawn because you send her out, she says incendiary things. And then when she gets attacked, it's like, how are you going to attack an old little black lady? <laughs> like, what kind of animal are you? Auntie Maxine. <laughs> but she's out there saying, oh, uh, we got to be persistent and you know, um, keep applying pressure. It's like, hmm. I remember somebody else using language that it wasn't that incendiary, and it's like uh, she got all bent out of shape over it. Oh, you mean President Trump? Yeah, January sixth. <laughs> right. So if if you want to use the same standard, and that's what you have to do if you want to be actually talk about real justice, um, not this worship they have going on, but actual. You know what? This is the standard, and we're going to judge people fairly by that standard. So it's like, if you judge 45 Savage that way, now I'm going to use that standard towards you and see how it pans out. Okay. And if it, if it is, then you're doing, you're inciting riots and everything else you accuse him of. I'm just saying, by your own standard, and if you don't want to believe me, uh, my perspective on her standard, let's go and get her in her own words. I have a question for you. Yes, please. Um, 
you know, and we'll probably get to the $27 million that the city paid the Chauvin family, uh, the uh, uh, George Floyd's family, which I think was also, you know, very corrupting or slash maybe intimidating or influencing any potential jury pool at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, do you feel that this has become for some families just like a, this is going to sound horrible of me saying it, but like a business model? Yeah. I mean, no, well, they're not the business model. What they are, are, have you or your family been killed by cops? If so, call, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, okay, that's what I meant, yeah. yeah. Call Crump, call Crump, uh, call Crump, Crump, and, Crump, and, Crump and Crew. <laughs> right. Crump and Crew. <laughs> and they come yeah. in and they say, you know, and it's all played out. And Crump's like, you see that crowd outside? <laughs> yeah. You see that crowd outside? And, and, I got. And, and what's really sad is knowing a little bit about a celebrity being, being a celebrity, being in the public eye. Oh, man, it takes a lot of strength not to succumb to that. And you start, you will believe anything when a crowd is chanting your name and when they're loving you and you're feeling that and that, that, that vibe is going back and forth. You'll believe anything anyone tells you. But it's, it's pressure, but also it's a press pressure release valve because when the family gets the money, it's like, okay, here, family, here's your script. Right. And they go out, we forgive everybody. We just want calm and peace. Mm-hmm. And we don't want no problems. And it's like, yeah. okay. We could take the pressure off the riots, you know, right. you let the pressure out and it's like, you know what? And we didn't get what we wanted and it, you know, he can turn up the heat again and the pressure goes right back up and it, but they don't want to really have, they don't want no smoke. No. They don't really, they don't really want no, I mean, they don't want it no, because if you listen to Maxine Waters, she's like, oh, whether you believe it's murder one or not, why don't you come out like uh, uh, Judge Janine? Right. You know what I'm saying? Come full throated with like, this was murder one. Right. You know what I'm saying? And we, there's some bull crap that we didn't get murdered. But it's like they have to be very balanced. It's like, if you think it's murder one, and I kind of think it was, but if you give us what we want, then we yeah. will tell them to stand down. And that's another thing. The fact that nothing happened after this uh, verdict. Nothing. Mm-hmm. That tells you somebody had their hand on the, on, on the go button. Yeah. This is not organic because you don't or you don't control organic like that. Wow. Okay. Not a window was busted. Nothing. It was just like, so all right, right. So <laughs> we won. Right. Yay. Yeah. You know, it's like, then, then you bring out the fourth wave. I always talk about that fourth wave. Yeah. <clears throat> that's the cover. That's the, that's the, that's the clean man. That's the, you know, that's the bag man. It's, those are the happy dancing protesters. Like, yay, we did it. You know? Yeah. yeah. It's like, it's goon stand back. But I mean, to have that kind of control over that, that that tells you that this is this is scripted and it not in the form of the from the beginning. I'm talking about from the point it happened on. I, I'm not going to get into that. Not I'm not saying if it, if it could have been, it could have been. But I like to stay with the facts. Yeah, <laughs> well, yeah. We already established it. Once once you had the perfect scenario, it was just fitting it into the plan. Mm-hmm. So now we're going to go and listen to. Um, Maxine Waters in her own world. Did we already hear that? Uh, uh, no, we no, uh, no, we didn't. 
And lastly, okay, Congresswoman, I read something yesterday and it really struck me and has stayed with me, written by a black person who said, we are not asking you to shoot them like you shoot us. We are asking you to not shoot us like you don't shoot them. You've certainly been in Congress 30 years, seen a lot. What are your thoughts on the hypocrisy and double standard that so many are talking about in our society as far as if the rioters yesterday had been black, how the outcome most likely would have been much different? Well, I tweeted uh, something uh, similar to that, and I basically tweeted, uh, if this had been Black Lives Matter, uh, uh, you know, acting in the way that um, uh, the Oath Keepers and the Proud Boys and the white supremacists uh, had uh, stormed our capital, what do you think would have happened? Or do you think, you know, in essence, they would have gotten away with it? Uh, and, you know, I got the kind of responses where, you know, everyone was saying, of course, uh, we know uh, they said it in so many ways. Blood would be all over the place. Uh, they would be killed. Uh, they would be shot. Uh, everybody believes and knows uh, that uh, blacks are treated differently, even when they are peacefully protesting. And so uh, we also know that, um, you know, whites feel more comfortable uh, in their protests that they will not be shot and killed. So you see the double standard. I mean, yeah. it, it's so it's so it's so thick, and the hypocrisy is so thick. And she was speaking on hypocrisy. That's the it's, weird thing about it's it. It's pretty like, meta, isn't it? <laughs> brazenly meta. Yeah. I'm going to be very so hypocritical that, about hypocrisy for a moment. So let's get back to um, Tucker and, and Tucker Four. That's so far over the line that we read some Democrats were shocked by it, and yet no one condemned it. That includes the president, and it includes the most powerful people in the Democratic Party, the Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, Steny Hoyer of Maryland. They came out in support of Maxine Waters. And then state media, literally state media, public broadcasting system, came out today with an explanation at the White House press briefing. Watch this propagandist explain what Maxine Waters really meant. Um, Representative Waters, as you said, clarified, she said, my actual words don't matter. I wonder why the White House isn't also coming to the defense of Representative Waters, given the fact that she's now facing an onslaught of attacks, especially by, I would say, Republicans. I wonder why the White House isn't saying, we, we back what she said about being confrontational. She was obviously not threatening violence. There are civil rights leaders that are saying that's what, that's what civil rights is, is to be confrontational, to be active. Well, she, could, she also clarified her own remarks, Amisha. And I think that's the most powerful piece to point to. <laughs> that lady works for you. She literally works for public television. And there she is ardently flacking for lunatic Maxine Waters at the White House press briefing. Oh, it's all normal. Don't worry. It's always been this way. It hasn't always been this way. Oh, yes. Yamish. There's nothing like a good, a good Yamish clip. <laughs> and, and went for Maxine Waters to say her words don't matter. Yeah. When the whole time of my reclaiming my time, time. it's all about saying what I say matters. Now, all of a sudden, it doesn't matter. But she she was sent out there. Hold on. Hold on. My time. (laughs) My time. One more. Stop reclaiming my time. There you go. So she was sent out there to be. To receive the, the target. It's like, I'm going to say these crazy, I mean, saying these things that normally no politician would say pre-verdict. Right. And then when the, when the heat comes from me, and of course, they, they, this is the, this is the problem with the other side. 
they're so predictable. You can almost write it. It's like you're going to hear censure and, right, you know, right. the whataboutisms yeah. and that kind of thing. It's when you become so predictable, then your opponents can kind of pull you into where they want you to go. And that's exactly what happened. Um, so I guess we can go and wrap up with Tucker with Tucker Five. And our leaders haven't always talked like they're seized by religious fervor. Here was the Speaker of the House today thanking George Floyd because he died in order to make the Democratic Party more powerful for his sacrifice, she said. Watch this. Thank you, George Floyd, for sacrificing your life for justice. Because of you and because of thousands, millions of people around the world who came out for justice, your name will always be synonymous with justice. Unless we can change the law, this will be an episode. We change the law, we're going down a different path altogether. So the guy dies on the sidewalk, and here this lady comes out and politicizes it so completely that he becomes sort of Democratic Party saint. Thank you for your sacrifice. This is grotesque. It's a cult, obviously. Yeah, it was bizarre. <laughs> it is a cult. It's, it's a cult, yeah. It was bizarre, it's, no, it's, man. It was just bizarre. With three justices. You yeah. were sacrificed. You were sacrificed for justice, yeah. for justice, for yeah. justice. And I know I'm saying that, but I want you to get in your mind what there is. Justice is another sigil. Yes. Because and I'm gonna re I'm gonna reiterate my point. We nobody got justice. Yeah. So the Republican sigil is uh, liberty and freedom, and for Democrats, it's always been justice. Yes. Justice. And so now we got to go back to show 48 because we laid out black men being the sacrificial lamb uh, for other parties to come up, and this dovetails well when we talked about the Asian aspect as well. When one group wants to move up, they have to sacrifice black people, specifically black men. And this goes for show 48, uh, Sacrifice 1. So this lecture focuses on the ritual sacrifice of black men in particular as an instrument for creating a cohesive and unified body of people called white. So in this development of the screen of racial contempt uh, that I'm calling the first stage of sacrifice, while it certainly includes the murder of African Americans, it it was the murder of their humanity in the eyes of European Americans that was sacrificed in the development of white identity. More than just debasement, it was the symbolic murder of their identities offered up in order to engender another identity. So Rene Girard uh, writes, the purpose of sacrifice is to restore the harmony to community, to reinforce the social Mm. fabric, and that the common denominator that exists between, behind all sacrifice is internal violence. And the dissensions, the rivalries, the jealousies, and the quarrels of the community by design are suppressed by sacrifice. You know, I haven't been talking to many people about uh, the C word, about the cult. Mm-hmm. But man, I've been telling more and more people, not specifically regarding this, but regarding a lot of different things. And I've said, it's a spell. And and whereas I think um, maybe probably pre pre Corona, people would have looked at me like you're you're out of your mind. But I don't even get that anymore. Just get a yeah yeah. It is kind of a spell, isn't it? 
So keep so let let me define how I define witchcraft. Witchcraft is nothing but control. Okay. When you want control over somebody else, <laughs> it's like because that's what a spell is, right? You mm-hmm. might think one thing, but I want you to think another thing, yeah, so yeah. I cast a spell on you yeah. and make you go the opposite way, the way I wanted you to go. So let's not get into the whole not you, but. I don't want people's mind to drift off into cauldrons and uh, new <laughs> eyes and that kind of thing. It's, no, that's Hillary that's Clinton. Pro- that's a different show. <laughs> <laughs> but this, just keep it very simple. It's just that when somebody wants to control your th- thoughts, mind control, you know, so yeah. what do they do? They cast a spell on you. And the way, and, and if you heard in this clip, dehumanization, the Democrats dehumanized uh, George Floyd. Thank you, George. Yeah. Thank you for being a sacrificial lamb <laughs> Thanks, so bro. we can bring about more peace and justice. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, nothing for really for black men. Nothing. I mean, everybody else is going to come up. All, as I always say, we open the door and everybody else goes right in. That's right. And as you've seen, what legislation have you seen? None for black men. Nothing to protect, you know, um, specific, if you want to say that's who being attacked. That's what the Democrats are saying. But then there's nothing that changed our life. But they know how to pick a victim. Yes, and and that's the genius of it. And and they got they got one handed to them. Beautiful. And the one that they chose to highlight, he wasn't squeaky clean. So now with the strike, if he would have been a a Sunday school teacher, done the same way, there's nobody would have had an argument. <laughs> you see, it's not. That's why they yeah, don't. That's yeah. why they don't pick cases like that. Yeah, because then, it, then we can't play out the whole scenario with three rounds of uh, of strife and violence and unrest. Yes, which all movies have that thing, right? You think it's one way, and it comes back the other way, and then it comes back the, like the turns. Mm-hmm. I think what they call them. You have the turns in the in the script. So, um, speaking of picking the victim, let's go ahead and get to uh, number nineteen A. So the system doesn't want us to go too far, so it needs to find a way to blow off steam through the process. They don't want to get rid of that intra community violence, but they just want to deflect it before it reaches the doors of the elites. So to deflect the violence that ultimately arises out of the competition, there needs to be a ritual victim, which is the third group. Someone who is marginal within the community, who does not represent a real threat of reprisal, who can't attack the system back. The dangers uh, in the society are projected onto that victim. Wow, man. It's like, I got to go back and listen to all of episode 48 now. That was so good. <laughs> that's a great clip. And, and, and that's what they've been doing. But and I, now this is next clip is kind of uh, a long clip. It's two minutes. We try to keep it at 130. But I have to let this play all the way out. So it's fine for Nancy Pelosi to go out and say George Floyd was a sacrifice. But when a black man, Neo, tries to say this a year prior to when it happened, actually at his funeral, this is the response that he got. Okay, guys, so peep this. The third and final memorial for George Floyd, the 46-year-old black man killed at the hands of Minnesota police on May 25th, was held at the Fountain of Praise Church in Houston on Tuesday, June 9th. Neo, who attended the service and performed a song, is now facing criticism after referring to Floyd as a sacrifice. This man changed the world. Changed the world for the better. So I just want to personally thank George Floyd for his sacrifice so so that my kids 
can be all right later on. I appreciate, I appreciate the sacrifice, my brother. I genuinely do. Following his speech, Neil got visibly emotional when he sang Voice to Men's 1991 hit, It's So Hard to Say Goodbye to Yesterday, in honor of the 46-year-old Floyd. Even so, Twitter immediately pounced on Neil for his seemingly insensitive remarks. Many people couldn't believe he would say such a thing, while others just implored celebrities to keep their mouths shut. Here were some of the reactions. Everyone when Neo said George Floyd's murder was a sacrifice? Neo, some of these so-called celebrities really need to reread their tweets before they hit that tweet button, because when they assume they are tweeting something profound, they just wind up making an ass of themselves. Neo, out of all the things to say, you say that? Did Neo just call the murder of George Floyd a sacrifice? Neo just thanked George Floyd for his sacrifice so his kids can be safe. Some of those celebrities really need to be quiet because woo child. Me after checking to see why Neo is trending, do y'all not know we don't allow you to act up in the black church? Who put Neo in the pulpit? Who? This pic is real, real life in the black church. Every time I see a celebrity trending, I just know they said some dumb Neo, really? Neo was so choked up while singing, he stopped several times to get through it. Man, please. Neo said, I'd like to thank George Floyd for his sacrifice. Yep, you read right. Neo with your ignorant I just saw a clip of Neo saying he'd like to thank George Floyd for his sacrifice. What sacrifice, Neo? George Floyd was murdered. He didn't give his life to anyone. His life was taken from everyone. Why are celebrities even talking? Sacrifice? Sacrifice? It was bloody murder. Neo should have just kept quiet. Black male celebrities have been nothing but an embarrassment these past few days. Nothing good coming out of their mouths. <laughs> so the assertion here is uh, he can't be a sacrifice for black men. No, 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 no. No, 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 no. It needs to be for the cause, not for not for the black men. We can't even weaponize our own. What's wrong with you? <laughs> Ain't that crazy? <laughs> What's wrong with you? Come on. Nancy <laughs> Pelosi, an old rich white lady, can go out here and say thanks. And the way she said it, she wouldn't even see. Well, she, she wasn't, wasn't even, even somber. No. She's, like, she's like, thanks, George. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Wow. And what I had to laugh to keep from crying because people think we're making this up. If I, if you could talk to anybody before they start listening to the show, they probably thought black men were whiners, but it's like, no, nobody cares about us because everybody uses us for their and, own purpose. And congratulations. That sequence of clips that you set up perfectly to, to roll into that one. Yeah, we're going to make a podcaster out of you yet, Mo. <laughs> <laughs> that was good that was really really good great clip all right so now we have uh msnbc and this is uh i forget her name but she's speaking on uh joy reed's show and let's have how they uh speak on george floyd as a sacrifice this is our next blood sacrifice of still asking people to recognize our humanity. Uh, we saw this in the 60s. We saw this in the 80s. We're seeing it now. But if you look at the power structure, this is still uh, black and brown people asking for equality. This is still white NFL owners allowing black players to kneel. This is still white NASCAR owners allowing black players to wear uh, Black Lives Matter. This is still white corporate power brokers at Starbucks allowing their employees to say Black Lives Matter. So for me, I'm still pretty angry about it. Uh, we're still in a space where we're asking uh, a television landscape to please allow us to speak truthfully. Please don't sideline us. Please give us a platform to speak. I think in order for this country to have a true reconciliation and a true recognition of where we are and stop buying into a false narrative about who America is, we have to reimagine America. Previously, we could only see what was possible, and even that seemed out of reach. In this moment, 
moment, we are seeing the impossible and power concedes nothing. So this is a moment for we for us to take take up ourselves and, and galvanize this movement and grab power. So when I see the power structure start to shift, where we're not asking permission to live, to breathe, where we're not asking to hold on to our lives and to be allowed to pursue our livelihoods, then I would describe that as a seismic power shift. Wow. We. We have we. we, yeah, yeah, we. We it's certainly not black men. It's black women <clears throat> and white women, allies, women of color, women, women in general. Yeah. I mean, like minorities. Yeah. I mean, the, the, which that can you mean? Know, I, maybe, maybe uh, black men have to have to take a page out of the old women's playbook, Lysisatra, I think was that her name, and just say, okay, we're withholding all sex. That may work. Which you know what? No, and I'm, I'm not saying it tongue in cheek, but that's it's not. We're not withholding sex. We're withholding, and and how <laughs> you open up a can of worms yeah, there, I but know. now I got to address it. There's an undertone going on now that, um, and I brought his name up before, Kevin Samuels, um, that he says women control the access to sex, men control the access to relationships. So it's like, yeah, we'll date you, but we won't marry you. So that is a real phenomenon that's going on right now. And that's fought over on the gender war mm. front, which, 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 you know, we cover the fronts here yeah, <laughs> yeah. of the, of the woke war, you know, um, now we're on the race front, but we always go back, you know, the generational and the, and the gender front as well. So that is being fought over there. It's mm. funny that you said that, but that is a, that's a real <laughs> that thing. is spot mm. on, sir. But that but, is spot. And, but is that, <laughs> thank you for doing the work. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we have a lot more work to do. Um, but is that not? I mean, is that being recognized by uh, by black women? Are, are, oh hell yeah! Are they They're saying hold on. Uh, they, Yeah, he has five to six women call on in every one of his shows, showing their frustration. With this. Like we'll date you, but we won't marry you until you. Meet our and and what I'm saying, we're not talking about all women here. No. We're talking about the strollers, you know, the people like the last speaker that they want to pick and choose when they want to be feminist or whatever. And it's like they can take their black off and on. And it's like, no, I'm a woman, you know, and I'm all for all women. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's like either you're with this or you're not. And like and I always say that those kind of women and those these kind of people in general that use Black lives are the minority, but they're the loud minority. So it sounds right. like everybody is saying this, but it's a, they. But what they're given is a bullhorn by the mainstream media to mm-hmm. make you think all black people are saying this yeah. when it's only a few talking heads that. And it's funny that she would say that. You know, the 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 media won't uh, giving us permission. You know, you had to clear every word you said with MSNBC <laughs> before you got on that screen. Absolutely, you better believe it. You had two pre-interviews the whole nine. Man, not that bull, but that's what I'm saying. They can use a sacrifice word. Nancy Pelosi can use a sacrifice word. But when Neo says it, and then he said George Floyd gave a sacrifice for his children, not justice, but, you know, so other black kids won't be killed. Or, uh, <clears throat> so now was you the, can't say was, that. Was the media dragging Neo for that as well, or just this <clears throat> one particular YouTuber or whatever? She no, was? it was all over. It was, yeah. well, that you know, the media is led by social media. So yeah, whatever, true, the, true, true. whatever the narrative is on social media... The media runs with that. I mean, right. they, don't even, they don't even have any creativity left. Right. And you know what? People should appreciate that me and you could come here and have this honest conversation. We're in a vacuum. You know, um, we don't really care what the outside thinks, but we had to have these conversations. And that's really the uh, 
the bedrock of the you know what I'm saying Mo Facts with Adam Curry podcast. So it I, I just want to say that it is, and uh, and and we take uh, we take great uh, a great example and great words is really as our path to getting here. First, the white man and the black man have to be able to sit down at the same table. The white man has to feel free to speak his mind without hurting the feelings of that Negro. And the so-called Negro has to feel free to speak his mind without hurting the feelings of the white man. Then they can bring the issues that are under the rug out on top of the table and take an intelligent approach to get the problem solved. That's the only way that they'll ever do it. And that's exactly what we're trying to do here in the words of Malcolm X. Uh... MoFax with Adam Curry is a value-for-value podcast, which means you can listen to it. There's no charge, there's no paywall, there's no Patreon, nothing like that. All we ask is that you contribute to the show. Uh, The three T's is time, talent, treasure. The treasure is critical. It is the only way we can get paid for what we're doing. There's no creepy Chinese Communist Party money, no big pharma, no advertising at all. There's nothing. It's just you. And that's why you're all producers. And I did want to mention that um, now that Podcasting 2.0 is uh, is out and is starting to gain steam, uh, there are four new podcast apps that I'd like you to try because with those, you can actually send us value through little pieces of Bitcoin, little mini pieces. And you can start off with just a couple of bucks if you just want to test it out. Um, and that's the Breeze app, it's Podfriend, it's Podstation, or Sphinx Chat. All of those links are in the show notes at uh, mofax.com. But right now, we'd like to thank our producers, our executive producers. Actually, we're going to do the full, uh, the, we're going to give you the whole load right now. And we start off with a very obvious... Shot caller, 20-inch blades on the Impala. This is fantastic. Daniel Taggart. Uh, sent us $1,000, and she has done this uh, for a couple of shows, actually. And uh, <laughs> this is, this. I, I got, just got to read this note, and then we'll, we'll understand what she was doing here. So she clearly I, is. Hold on. We had to put some respect to her name. She's not the big baller. She's the biggest baller. The, big, <laughs> the no, biggest I baller think, of all time. I think she may be the biggest. But we might have to go check the records, and we'll wait, correct that statement if it's not. But I believe does, she is the biggest baller. That, does that make her a boat? What's that? Well, if you have the goat, which oh, is the greatest the of all time. <laughs> Come on, man. My one sports reference. Mo, my the, one. The, the boat. Yes, that makes her the boat. I'm, she is I, the boat. <laughs> I want to put it in there. She is the boat. Fantastic. Here's her note. Uh, I was hit in the mouth back in early 2019 when the smoking hot dude named Ben, named Ben, protector of the MW and defender of the electric grid, introduced me to no agenda to further enrich our debates. I did not immediately take to the show, and then the same dude introduced me to Mo Fax, thinking it was more aligned with my focus areas. He was right, and now both shows consistently occupy the top two spots on my podcast list. I'm sending the same amount and same letter to both shows in return for the value all three of you and all the producers provide. Last time around, I did not send a letter, and Mo did not have the D-deadbeat in place, so please give me a D-douche and D-deadbeat. So we have to do this here. Congratulations. You're no longer a deadbeat. Now, I guess we also, do we also deduce her? Is that, uh, I, I, I think so. She's the biggest, she's, she's the biggest she's baller. The boat. <laughs> You've been deduced. You bet. We'll do anything you want. Thank you for doing the work. I don't have the patience to do. In the 2000s, I realized that American society was becoming a poorly scripted reality TV show where the need is currency and bad decisions are encouraged for ratings. Hallelujah. 
At that point, I decided to start being more careful about what I let into my brain. Unfortunately, while yeah, while ignorance is bliss, awareness is responsibility, and that is where y'all come in and help me stay aware without submitting myself to the tactics and the talking points. You are challenging the way I think and teaching me things I did not know. There are plenty of times I disagree with your take on things, but this is part of the value as well. Either way, I learn more by hearing and considering your perspectives. This donation technically makes me a dame. Please knight me Dame Taggart, Gypsy of the Southwest, and add some spicy hatch green chili to the round table. Uh, we did all that on the No Agenda show. Uh, but your uh, your damehood is, of course, recognized here at the MoFAC show as well. Uh, and she asked for some jobs, karma, uh, which we gave her on No Agenda. For everybody who needs it, please play Trump around. Well, here she wants some Mo Karma. That is the part of this tri- or this uh, this duopoly that she's introduced. Uh, that we can do over here. So we will give you some special version two Mo Karma. <laughs> You've got Mo Karma. And thank you so much, uh, Dame Taggart. Can I explain two things here? Because I got to explain two things. She sent in and she should have actually been on 60. Well, she shouldn't have been on 61. And but her time, her uh, value came in before we did 61. Right. But we didn't want to knock off the big baller of that show just because we were delayed. Uh, so I just want to explain to her what happened in that case. And in the next case, you probably wonder why uh, a cult fan is coming in at 444, uh, $4.44. That's because we missed him. And it's like, so we have to take care of him, of him next after what we couldn't put him over the biggest baller. So we, if we miss you, you go right to the top of the list. So, I mean, that was my bad. And before we get to a cult fan, uh, a thank you to Sir Scampers, who sent in a producership, executive producership of 333.33. Thank you, fellas, for the show. Finally returning some of the value I've received. Please, D, deadbeat me and spread some woosa karma for all. Love you, mean it. Congratulations. You're no longer a deadbeat. Woosa. Woosa. I'm sending you tons of good ass energy. Take that. Take that. Take that. Extra. You've got karma. That was a convoluted one. That was special. (laughs) Okay, now we got a cult fan. Sorry we missed you last time. Uh, A cult fan says, good afternoon, Mo. I donated 444 and was looking uh, like prior show, I think, 61, but just heard the donation segment. My donation was not listed. Making sure it didn't get lost at this point, I've sent a second 444 and another note since I thought my other one was already read. Do you have any light you can help shed on this situation? Well, we fixed it. We missed it. I must add, the book title of my first note is not verses, but and, as in Freemasons and Catholic slash Catholicism. Please, reflect, that, uh, please reflect, this, reflect this in the note when read. Am I missing um, something about this previous note? It's to the right. Ah, okay. Should I read this? Yes. Shout yes. Out. Please yeah. give the shout out. I yeah, yeah. Because that was important to him. Yeah. Shout out to Joy, a.k.a. Joy Cakes, an excellent graphic artist and lovely lady overall. Joy, I hope you're listening right now. This show and No Agenda are must-listens. It's a public service. And 444 is an angel number. So there's two notes, two donations of 444. Second note is shout out to the old friend of mine who have been trying to give some food for thought. Uh, if I may ask, please, just one spiritual brother to another, where did you hear about the Archons, if I may. Archons are what Boulay members are called. <laughs> MS, 
MSNBC. <laughs> we put the B in Boulay. All right. A exactly. fan. Thank you. Tim Lang, $275 as uh, an executive producer and uh, no note, but we thank you very much, Tim. Appreciate it. Uh, Lanvi Nguyen, I think is the way you pronounce it, $250. I'm a tiger auntie to a gorgeous... No. And- Hold on. She is the tiger auntie. She, she, I say something here. Okay. She was been very active on the lives that I do over on YouTube. Uh-huh. Uh huh. And she actually called in, oh. so that's why I have to. She is the tiger auntie. Oh nice. Um, <laughs> yeah. So and for other people, <clears throat> if you want a little bit of more facts where you can see visuals and things of that nature that we can't kind of do here, you know, what I'm saying come over to the YouTube channel and I do. Uh, that's like an interactive newsletter I got going hey, to do, keep people. Yeah. Uh, do in I the have, loop. Do I have the link for that in the show? And I got to. Make sure that's in the show notes every single time so it's easy for people okay. to find at mofax.com. I would do that. Uh, so the, the, the Tiger Auntie, uh, who was Tiger Auntie to a gorgeous and precious nine-year-old black Asian boy who lost his father two years ago. He'd been obsessed with George Floyd and the sentiments of victimhood. My heart cracked when he asked me if his chances of being a victim of police violence was 50% or 100%. This began my journey to attempt to learn and understand stories, history, and struggles of black lives in America. I traversed through Glenn Laurie, Larry Elder, Thomas Sowell, uh, Coleman Hughes, and have been regularly and comfortably tuning into Hotep Jesus and Mo Facts. Thank you for the education. What you put together in the 60-plus episodes are educational nuggets which should be taught to young black boys like my nephew. I'm very interested to turn your collection of information from those shows into educational collaterals, maybe as a book, digital or otherwise. If you're interested, I would love to brainstorm further on this idea because I'm certainly willing to do the work. Wow. I mean, well, we've always said that, and I think many producers have said that they feel uh, the podcast is something that should be taught in schools. And um, I I don't see why not. You should put it together. And I think we'd be happy to see that. Just uh, make sure you've got our value for value uh, details in there. So anyone who gets uh, any value out of it can support the work. Would you say that's the way to go, Mo? And I would say that. And I also make sure she receives her value as well for doing the work. So, I mean, it's it, like, this is how this works. <laughs> oh, absolutely. <laughs> is that we... Absol- well, she gets put right in there. Of course, that's how it works. Yes. This is the beauty of the value for value model. You don't have to have any contracts. <laughs> you don't have to have any any meetings. You know, it just kind of works out. And then, uh, and what, as it turns out, people really like sending value for things that they find valuable. Uh, just like your $250, which we very much appreciate, Tiger Auntie. Uh, $200 uh, for, uh, for this episode from Timothy Cato. Take my cuck bucks, he says, Sir Tim of the Tunnels. <laughs> Sir Tim. Yeah, met him many times here in Austin, I think. Uh, Wesley Olson, $200. Please D-deadbeat me. Keep it going, guys. Mo Karma as well. You got it. D-deadbeat first. Congratulations. You're no longer a deadbeat. You've got Mo Lon Baker, $200. Thank you, Adam and Mo, for speaking honestly about your thoughts and observations. Peace and love, and love and peace back to you. Rochelle Stowe, 12345, beautiful number. Hey, Mo and Adam, since we last donated, my husband and I bought a house, and your good house karma helped us do that. <laughs> All right. <laughs> It's it's really we just play the sound, but it's somehow it has something to do with the people listening, and it's the it's the collaborative thing that makes that work. But so I just don't want to take too much credit for karma. <clears throat> it's the people. It's the people. It's- uh, one of my biggest dreams is building a ceramic studio. A ceramic studio. 
Our new property has a shed where my dad, mom, and I have been working all summer and fall to make that 30-year dream a reality. Mo, one of my favorite things to do is make art and listen to the podcast. I think about your full-time job, family, and how you want to diversify your income with your startup project. Well, hell yeah. That's that's the whole, that's the drive here. <laughs> we got to get Mo out of his job. We got to do it, having fun all the time. Uh, no jingles, just wanted to say hello. Thanks for inspiring my husband, Jake, and I to be better people and speak honestly with each other. Rochelle, thank you. Well, you know, thank you. That means a lot to me because that means that you are hearing us being honest with each other. And we are. And uh, we appreciate that value. $115 from Philip Brown. Greetings from Oklahoma. I adore y'all's friendship. It's authentic, honest, transparent, and affirming. The world could use more of that, and it makes for great podcasting. Here's a hundo to be deduced, a hammy for the X-Spot, and five on it. Stay the course warmly. Philippe de la Chaudad, Chaudad, the Oklahoma. I think I butchered that one enough. So here we go. Let's get you. We're going to give you a D-dead beating. That's what we like doing here. Congratulations. You're no longer a deadbeat. And we'll throw in a Mo Karma for you. You've got Mo Karma. Saka ones, one eleven eleven from Buddy Arsenault. As per the last donation, I'm from South Louisiana. There was nothing cryptic about the donation. I donated one hundred and eleven eleven, and I'm donating the same amount this time. You guys got taxed somehow. <laughs> was that the PayPal tax? Some something. Yeah, it's always the PayPal tax. PayPal man. tax. Yeah. Uh, I would like to hear Gangsters. the. I would like to hear the goat <clears throat> and a wusa. I'm on episode thirty eight, working forward. The more I listen, the more I love this conversation. Appreciate what you are doing. Well, we can do that for you. <laughs> You've got Mocom. I'm sorry, I wanted a wusa. Wusa. Antonio Rodriguez, $100.50. He's a C-note and a Curtis Jackson. He says, greetings from A-Rod. Thank you, A-Rod. Keep him coming, Mo, says Don Mills, and gives uh, $100 to the show to keep it going and keeping it coming. $100 from Raynon Barber. Keep dropping knowledge bombs. Respect. Michael Kellner, $100, and says, thanks for what you're doing. David Roll says, when do I join a tribe called Mo? When do I get to join a tribe called Mo? I just want to be a Mo Facker. With Adam living in Austin and Mo from the Carolinas, I would love to hear a barbecue debate sometime. <laughs> this is it, man. This is the debate you get. We might be eating barbecue while we do it, but this, this is it. This is how this is how it works. We've never even met yet. One of these days, Mo and I will meet. Um, and that was a one hundred dollar uh, donation. Thank you very much. And the tribe, if you go to Sphinx. The way you would spell the uh, the Egyptian cat Sphinx dot or actually it's uh, tribes dot Sphinx dot chat. Uh, search for uh, Mofax, and if you have the app, then you can uh, join the tribe there. Definitely need to start that community up, and that's what those apps are also for. One hundred dollars from Amanda L. Bates, dear Mo and Adam. I will try to be brief, but there's so much to say. First and foremost, please accept this donation. Can I get a D-dead beating? Yes, of course you can. I love handing it out. Congratulations. You're no longer a deadbeat. Please accept this donation for the immense value I'm receiving via the podcast. I started with no agenda, made my way to MoFax around episode 50, and it started from the beginning to where I am now, which is episode 17. To say my mind has been blown, my blood pressure has raised repeatedly, and I have literally laughed out loud on several occasions. It's not an understatement. I'm a 53-year-old white married female, and I'm embarrassed about the things I didn't know. 
At age 26, I was a new mom working full-time trying to finish a college degree in the evenings. I did not want to take English Lit, so I opted for a black literature course because it sounded really interesting. First class, the professor wanted everyone to admit that they were racist. There was no black students in the class. She used an example of not wanting to walk in Harlem alone out of fear as an example. I was a sobbing puddling class because I felt like the most horrible human on the planet. I left her on break and did not I left on break and did not go back. I couldn't just couldn't bear it. A couple of students tried to help, but it was useless. Fast forward to COVID and where we are now. The lockdown forced me to deal with childhood trauma and abuse uh, that I thought I had buried for good. It was a history that seriously created a lifetime of guilt and shame. And while it has been a good thing to finally face and deal with it, follow it up with this new climate of all white people are racist, white guilt, etc. was too much. I refuse to feel guilty for for things which I have no control over any longer. And that is where my deepest heartfelt gratitude for your show comes from. It has been a saving grace listening to your honest conversations, learning, paying attention to agendas, mind control, etc. has empowered me to trust that I am a good person. With flaws, but I'm not inherently racist and I will not allow anyone to call me that today or ever. Please, please, please keep doing what you're doing. And if possible, a little more karma would be sincerely appreciated. Apologies for the length. Much love and light from Mandy. And she sends us a hundred dollar donation. Uh, this is we actually need a new jingle. This is spell broken, is what you just <laughs> heard there. Spell broken. Congratulations. You're no longer a deadbeat. Can I make two observations? Right quick quick ones. You bet. One, I want to point out that if you make everything racist, then nothing is racist. That's right. And that's why it's very important when you're saying that term be used correctly. And two. This goes to show you, 27 years ago, the cult of what was acted in universities. Yeah. You see, you, this, crit, this critical race theory has been brewing under the surface for almost 30 Long years time. by this lady's account. That's almost crazy. 30 years. Yeah. So that just goes, I just want to point out those two things. Wow. Yeah. Then that's just what we've documented. Whew. Alexander Harrington donates $100, asks for a D-dead beating. We've got that for you. Congratulations. You're no longer a deadbeat. And that D deadbeat is for his little dishwasher lady get over it. (laughs) No matter how (laughs) tired or hurt she is, she keeps on going. First through disability and having a disc replaced in her back and still did everything she could to help around the house. She deserves to have all the listeners know she's not a deadbeat and never will be. Thank you, Mo and Adam, for bringing everything out on the table. I wish it was this easy with everyone. Hopscotch. Uh, wedding dance Houston, okay, uh, $100 on the impact of public funding and licensing on dance sent. And it's a document they sent, yeah. I haven't had a chance to go through it yet, but that's the document uh, okay. they Okay, the impact of public grants and licensing on dance. Oh, we'll have to look at that for sure. We'll check that out. Thank you very much for the support. Alexis Spina, or Spina, S-P-I-N-A, $100. Hey, Adam and Mo, in the first episode I listened to, Mo deconstructed the narrative to Black Panther, and I've been hooked ever since. When I first saw the movie, I couldn't believe the plot was so blatant. What was even harder to believe was the promotion of the movie as black empowerment. After episode 61, I can say, with all confidence, this is indeed my favorite podcast. In my search for truth, I've sought out information from all perspectives and have found the most insight coming from dialogue that the two of you have created with one another. It gives me immense sense of hope for the future of society. I did want to share one quick thought I had during last week's episode when you were discussing Medea. It reminded me of the goddess Medea, Medea, 
M-E-D-E-A. Medea is the Greek goddess of illusion. I couldn't help but think that is what Medea, uh, Medea is, is an illusion hiding their true form while working sorcery. Yeah, I, I think I agree with that. I mean, that made total sense to me. When, once I heard, once I saw an episode. And if you saw the Oscars. <laughs> yes. Yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Doing that transformative thing again. Of course, mm-hmm. Medea can also be related to media or just Terry Tyler to Perry Tyler. The religious element to the vaccine also reminded me of the fun. Yes, the fun vaccine. It's an interesting rabbit hole to go down if you have some time. Thank you both with all sincerity, Alexis. Thank you, Alexis. One more observation. This is from my big homie, OG Truth. Unplug him, brother, unplug him. He says that vowels are interchangeable. So if you change the, you know, the I, then that second E to I, it is media. Okay. Just so, want to make that point. Okay, so, <laughs> so right on target. Perfect. Uh, Lucky Eights here from Jacob Smith, eighty-eight, eighty-eight. The last show came at a perfect timing for me and my wife. We, <coughs> excuse me, we've both decided to not get the vaccine, and it has been very difficult socially since. We both got a mild case of COVID a few months ago, and therefore no need for a vaccine. My father disagrees and has told me we are not welcome to be part of the family gatherings until we get vaccinated. We got into a very long and very heated debate where he delivered all the talking points that I've heard for months on the pro-vaccine side. What's very disturbing is that my father would not admit that that his opinion is just that, an opinion. He says that COVID-19 is beyond all politics and his point of view is beyond reproach. He is right and I am selfish and inconsiderate. Of course, he has no time for any counter-argument because there's no time to find out what mRNA is. Needless to say... Uh, this has shook me to my foundation and has shown me how scared my dad really is. Without MoFax, no agenda, the God, my understanding, I found through AA and the community of like-minded friends, I probably would have gotten the shot out of fear of being disowned from my own family. You provide an invaluable service, and I love you two like brothers. Thank you, Jacob. I'm having my own version of that uh, with my family, uh, which we can get into another time. But yeah, it's yeah, I, I may never see my aunt and uncles again uh wow yeah yeah i mean there was a family newsletter going around about how everyone got the vaccine and they won't go anywhere unless anyone's vaccinated and we're supposed to have my dad's burial which got uh you know he was cremated but he's still in holland and he has a burial plot in uh, upstate new york in armonk and so you know everyone had to cancel their trips so that's going to happen eventually uh, and you know, my, my aunts and uncles, they're in their nineties now, you know, the late eighties, nineties, I'm sure that they won't want to see me. I mean, this is, I mean, and the whole family is, is they're going to think I'm nuts and I'm from Texas, which doesn't help. And this goes to show you the power of the cult. Yeah. Notice if any other group would have said, you know what, if you don't believe this and fill in a religion, yeah. I won't be around you. I can't be around you. You would yeah. call it a cult. Yeah. So I just want to point that out to people. No, you're absolutely right. And um, it's, it's just, it's amazing. It's just amazing how, how odd it is um, that even if you say, I'll, you know, I'll get a test. No, no, no. It's none of it's good enough. It's, um, so feeling your pain it's, there. Yeah. 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 Uh, <laughs> I'll survive, but still, it's like, wow, yeah, bad stuff. Cleveland com says thanks for the reconstruction. GBG for 10% off. 
<laughs> is there some beautiful soap? Yeah. Oh, really? Be- beautiful check soap. Out. Check that. Cool. Yes. Cool. Very cool. Yes. Beautiful soap. Uh, Donald DeHart uh, also comes in with a show donation. Says that Cleveland Soap works sixty-two dollars, and uh, Donald DeHart also gets the gag. So sixty-two, you will be a show club member. Bowl after bowl, also a uh, value for value podcasting two podcast, also available on all those spiffy new apps. Sixty-one dollars, so that'll be a show donation because it was for sixty-one. Fantastic show, Mo and Adam just keeps getting better. And hearing the last breakdown you guys did on Monsters Ball reminded me we had. Better get another show club credit while it's still in the 60s. Sort of like buying into crypto early. The show club value is only going up. With love, Sir Spencer and Dame DeLorean of Bowl After Bowl. P.S. Very stoked to see Mo on Sphinx. Welcome to the future. We're excited to grow our tribes. Uh, grow them together throughout the community. And he winds up with Go Podcasting. Eric Mackey, $61. Uh, I really enjoyed the show. Keep up the great work, Sir E. Thank you. Uh, $61 from Matthew Zeiser. Thank you for the continued value, Mo and Adam. Keep up the work and welcome to spring. More value to come. Uh, Rattel, Rattel, $60. Some podcasts reinforce my opinions. Some podcasts form my opinions. But yours is the only podcast that changes my opinions. Keep up the good work. Captain Luke, the Knight of the Barbary Coast. Thank you, Captain Luke. Chris Arnold, gentlemen. $55.33. Thank you for dearly, thank you dearly for providing such incredible value to my life. I haven't donated since my executive producership about 30 episodes ago, so please, D Dead beat me. Congratulations. You're no longer a deadbeat. I only wish I had more monetary value to reflect how impactful and educational MoFax has been for me. I had a great time with Mo on my podcast this week, David Ike last month. And thus, I'm two-thirds of the way to completing my podcasting Holy Trinity, which will only be complete when I chat with the almighty Podfather. Go podcasting, says Sir Seat Sitter. I think it's actually Sir Sir Seat Sitter. Uh, yes. And we'll have to do that. There's the original. Fascinating conversation. Fascinating yeah. conversation we had. Oh, I, I, what, uh, what's the name of the show? Uh, let's see. I mean, I know where to find it because I know where to find Sir Seat Sitter. Well, I'm going to find it and I'm going to get back to you, Sir, Sir Seat Sitter. And thank you for the value for value. Chef Elvis Rosenberg, uh, $50 from the chef and he wants to cancel Canon. I love that. And thank you, Chef Elvis. Uh, Douglas Mook, $50. Uh, Megan Emery, $50. I always get excited, says Megan, when the Mo Facts with Adam Curry podcast rolls out. It's worth the wait. You know, with this, we say the same thing. We had some, I had some massive technical troubles. For once, it's uh, my turn. Um, and Mo, Mo is always the first one to say, it's like, well, you know why this is happening. <laughs> you, know, you know why. Yeah, so sometimes it takes a little bit longer. Sometimes life gets in the way. But when it's out, we, we always intend to bring you quality. Matthew Wells says Mo and Adam. Wait, wait, this, the name of that show was Abs and a Six Pack. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yes. Of course, I knew that. We talked so much in the DMs that I just call it the Sir C. Sir C. Sir C. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Matthew Wells, Moan Adam, thanks for helping me to expand my mind. This show has really opened me up to a new perspective. You have definitely earned this, and I wish I was able to donate more. This is my first donation, so please, D Dead, beat me. Congratulations! You're no longer. A deadbeat. The Meghan Markle episode blew my mind, Matthew says. Thanks again. Jeffrey James, $50. I can't thank you and Adam enough for putting this out there. 
for us to hear. I make it a point to put this along with no agenda in the ear of anyone I talk to, even if the conversation is just tangentially relevant. What you're doing is a true public service. I mean, every word of that statement. I'm eagerly awaiting being de-deadbeated. Well, (laughs) wait no more. Congratulations. You're no longer a deadbeat. Uh, Side note, I'm 99.98% positive that you already know, but the on the way outside, on the way outside chance you don't, I just found Schoon TV, home of politic and podcast with Jason Whitlock and Curtis Schoon. Yes, you know, the Schoon also has a blog and posted something about podcasting which i saw the other day school yes he's TV. building he's building his own platform and uh i like it that conversation between him jason whitlock and him are are it's fascinating because it's unfiltered and 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 it oh, comes good. from a certain generate generational uh tilt so i, I, I like listening to it as well oh, very cool well, and it's a podcast as well or, or uh youtube only uh, it was, it's a podcast on YouTube. I think they also may have a podcast okay, as well, yeah. but I'm not, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm YouTube citric. So I know, sorry. I know I'm, I'm not, <laughs> <laughs> I'm old school. <laughs> what makes us the perfect, uh, combination? Yes, we are perfect combination, which was, uh, Stacy Lattisaw, Johnny Gill. Perfect combination. <laughs> All right, I'm dating myself. And that will do it for our uh, executive producers and associate executive producers for episode number 62 of MoFax with Adam Curry. We'll be thanking more producers just a little bit later on. We love to keep you hanging. That's what's so great about this show. As you know, you might as well just keep listening because, A, the notes are fantastic. People's stories are great. This is part of our value for value proposition, time, talent, treasure and also, you know that the cliffhanger is, is there and the good stuff is still coming. Uh, so thank you all uh, once again for being our uh, executive and associate executive producers for episode 62. If you'd like to join in the fun and uh, maybe get in a, a big baller donation for the next show, go ahead and go to MoFax.com or to our donation page at MoFundMe.com. All right. So we heard Tucker Carlson say that there are cults. I agree that they're a cult. Now we have Rose McGowan. Well, as some of you know, as some of you don't know, if you've heard my name or read anything on me in the media, I grew up in a cult and it was a very famous cult called Children of God. And it gave me a superpower. It gave me the ability to see the control and the propaganda machine, especially in the U.S., for what it is and how it harms people and how the left can harm people just as much uh, as the right if they go very, very deep into it and ignore all other aspects of kind of reality in a way and and that you're serving a master that might not be serving you and I always say I come in peace I am not here to make people feel bad about their political choices but I am here to say that you might be in a cult too if you don't know the signs and and I do believe Democrats wow. most especially are in a deep cult that they really don't uh, and know about and aren't really aware of and I leave the Republicans alone more because I do respect people more that are like this is what we are this is what we're about this is what we're against whereas I find that the Democrats are really pretty much almost against all the same things they're against um, changing the world for the better and and they're for keeping a system in place that is for so few people 
people and benefit so few, but they masquerade as the as the helpers. You know, I'd forgotten all about that. Yeah, it's not really discussed that often, but I'd forgotten all about her growing up in a cult. It's so true. And she says she has a superpower. Yeah. So, I mean, we always uh, defer to the subject matter expert. <laughs> yes, we break for superpowers. Right. <laughs> Still waiting on mine. Um, but <laughs> no, you, have, you have superpowers, Mo. You, you just don't know it that well yet, but you got them. Yeah. So, but Rose McGowan is not a star, uh, 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 severe, evangelical, staunch, no, no, uh, no. conservative. No. And for her to cut you, even she has some hesitations. Like, well, if you go deep down and so she wasn't even comfortable saying it, but then she right. came out and said it, that they're a cult. Yeah. Which, I mean, I don't say that lightly because when you hear people say that they're whatever, whatever the divide is, my family won't deal with me because right. I'm on the other side of the conflict. That's scary talk. And that's, that is like telltale signs of, just I'm speaking back just my uh my um experiences when you have a family member like join a church per se mm-hmm. and if you want to join that church with them it's like I can't be around you heathens you know you know are <laughs> uh, you sinners yeah. that kind of thing that's real cult talk and I see this semblance here well hopefully she's going to tell us how to identify this well let's go on to 24 I'm embracing in my life right now, really just almost healing in a way, not just for me, but for so many others. You know, during the Me Too media period, it was just triggers for so many women and men alike, you know, everybody really. And it was a painful period for very many people as as it was for me, sure. you know, and, and my persecution um an awakening from being a Democrat was so much about uh, what I do and what I say now and so much about realizing how hardcore of a cult it is. You know, it's interesting. It's the ability it does to women and the people it says it's going to help. Then why haven't they achieved anything? <laughs> Who stop asking these these awful questions, Rose McGowan? Rose, please. Rose, I've been asking the same thing for sixty two episodes. I mean, where are the tangibles? Well, yeah, yeah. There you go, tangibles. That, but that's what she's asking for, don't you see? And she used the word awakening, mm-hmm. and we see these cycles throughout history called great awakenings. I think we're piling on our fifth one right now, where people are waking up from the slumber that the news puts you in. And the spell that puts you under to say, you know, hold up, wait, wait. I'm going to trust my eyes, not what I'm being told. And it's very divisive. But I just want—I I think we're in the midst of another great away. That was her words, not my words. Yeah, I, I would—I I would even call it a renaissance. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and so I mean, we're going to come out of this yeah, with go good things. We're going to come out. Of, you come out of a renaissance with a lot of great things, including great art. Well, we're going to go back to real facts, real justice, real, yeah. not these um, uh, narratives that people mean when they when they say these words. But actually, let's put it on the table. Let's weigh it up, you know, and figure out where what it is and what it isn't. Mm. Not what we're told that what it is, what what it, what it isn't. So, um, her saying that and about the uh, the cult. We got to go back to show number 32 because we talked about this before, this phenomenon, uh, and this was is technology controlling your mind. 
I can tell you as a mental health professional, someone who has been helping people get out of cults and mind control and brainwashing situations for 40 years, constantly people are confused. What is a cult? What is mind control? What is brainwashing? Oh, my, my boss brainwashes me. Oh, advertising brainwashes me. Uh, the government brainwashes me, etc. But what I'm here to say is actually... I want to present a model for you to think about a spectrum from healthy to unhealthy influence. Healthy influence, there's informed consent. You know what you're getting involved with. You know about the person. There's choice. On the destructive side, there's deception. There's manipulation. On, on the healthy side, it respects your free will. It respects your conscience, where the unhealthy side is using guilt manipulation, fear manipulation, and wanting you to become tranced out, obedient slaves. And we have on this continuum some themes. Again, this is not a binary of all or nothing. This is a spectrum. And my call to action is your minds are precious and only you should control your mind. Oh man. That's the ISO, right? <laughs> yeah, really. It's a bumper sticker. That's what that is. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Who was this again? Uh, oh, I forget who that was. That was Stephen uh, Hassan. Stephen Hassan. From, oh, right, uh, I believe right. that was a te- from a TED talk, I believe, yes. where he was speaking from. Yes, yes, yes. I think you're right. So... <sighs> They're saying it's that it, um, and it's this thing where something's gonna kill you outside, but go outside, uh, protest, be don't respect uh, social distancing, but now that's over. Now go back in your house because something's gonna kill you outside, and people are just like, okay, yeah, and, that, okay. and that's that really truly when when it was the it wasn't just Black Lives Matter, it was the protest, I think it was in Brooklyn or in another borough in New York. And it was the LGBTQ Black Lives Matter concert when people were packed shoulder to shoulder. I mean, that was clearly the moment when everyone could know that not just the coronavirus lockdowns and fear mongering, but also this whole Black Lives Matter Inc. that they were both bullcrap. And it's, it, it was months ago now. I mean, it was a year ago almost. And it's just fascinating that on the flip side of that, if somebody didn't wear their mask and the cops roughed them up, the cult of woke would say, yeah, they deserved it. Yeah, but he's it's putting the public in danger. Yeah, endangering yeah. people. <laughs> yeah. You know you're in a cult when you don't see through that. And that's the scary. I mean, because I'm on the outside and when you talk to people that you've known for years yeah. and, and then you try to point it out to them and their reaction, it's like, wow, like, and I think somebody said it in the, in the note, note previously that they just regurgitate talking points from, I mean, like verbatim. It's, it's, well, but that, but that's, I can't, but I can't call it anything else. But, I mean, you know, I wish I could call it something else. But when, I, when I was a kid, when I was a kid, the way you would learn a language um, was with tapes, like a Berlitz tape, and you had it on your Walkman. And you had your your headphones on. You were you were repeating like a mantra. You were repeating whatever the uh, the instructor was saying on the tape, and you would learn the language. 
I'm sure it's still done that way to a degree, but it was very specifically, he has stuff in your ears, um, it's subliminal, and now with all the noise that's going on around us, you're, you're just doing this, you're literally learning the language, the language of woke, and you're just repeating things, and you're, you know, just like these tapes, when someone says, bonjour, Lean, you know your Pavlovian response because you've practiced it is, bonjour, monsieur le professeur. So when mm-hmm. it's like, you know, say say her name, say her name, say his name, say his name, no justice, no peace. These are mantras. That's all part of the, sp- I'm all in on the spell stuff now. That's it's so a part of the spell. <laughs> so much. It's so, so obvious. And it's not just us recognizing it. Now we were on the, you know, the <laughs> we're on the on the leading edge of it, but now it's just like everybody's starting to see it. And and it's it's just I mean, it's, it's sad in one way, but it's just fascinating in another way that how well it worked. And I'll I'll reiterate this point, and it's kind of how I did this show in these order. I mean, it's some method to the madness that if we're not locked in our house twenty four seven. Yeah then I don't think the spell works as much. But when you're, I mean, that's what a cult does. It isolates you first. Mm. It isolates you from loved ones. You know, it's like, so. Yeah, and that isolation doesn't have to be necessarily a physical isolation uh, to proximity, although six feet of distance helps. But you can also isolate people by concealing their faces. That as well. But I'm talking about physical isolation because I think me and you, don't really feel the isolation because we're married and have family. So you're not isolated. I'm talking about the target audience of this cult, single yeah. people. Yes. They, they think you, people may have seven, 14 day runs where the only way they go out is go to the grocery store, you know, and come back home. Yeah. And, and, and while they're at home, they're constantly being inundated with this, uh, with this information. Yeah, it's it's scary, it's scary times, man. I mean, I don't want to be a, a fear monger, but oh well, no, we're all seeing it. We're all seeing it, and and that and that energy, that isolation, is being converted into very negative energy. Hmm. Well, that's the only outlet. It's like if you can go outside, if you if you do what we want you to do, right? Yeah. And that's the only way you can get out. Yeah. Uh, so now we we talked about mind control. Now we got to see how the uh, mind really works. Now, the actual process of brainwashing is somewhat disappointingly abstract and inconcrete. There's no three-step guide to brainwashing your cult followers. The process is more of an art than a science. So here's your scientific three-step guide to brainwashing your cult followers. The first stage is break people down. You know, get them broken. So that's Rick Ross, no relation, and he's also an expert on cults. He calls this process coercive persuasion since he's an academic and doesn't have to worry about clickbaiting YouTube viewers. See? you get invited to a, a, um, a talk or a dinner by a group of people that you've never met before and suddenly you're like the center of attention and everybody's showering you with affection and praise and interest and this is something that a lot of cults will do because that's a very irresistible thing to be at the center of somebody's attention. Making people feel special is an overwhelmingly great feeling that traps them in. Overall, in this stage, you need to, as Rick says, talk about everything negative in the world, negative in their life, uh, put a lot of pressure on them to crack and break. And then second, uh, change them. You know, once they're in that broken state, introduce your ideas. 
That's so, so good. Let me show you how this works. Yeah. Here's the <laughs> hey, manual. Black people, yeah. Hey, black people, I know you've been ignored, <laughs> but here's your chance for all of corporate America to see you. Black lives matter. We're going to yeah. give you equity. Now it's like, okay. Then they break you down. It's, you know, it's like, that's how it it's works. Like standard, and people say, standard practice. It's all, it's, it's, it's mind control 101. And the thing is, people say, well, why don't they see the pandering? Think about flattery. Yeah. Is even though you know it's a lie, you like it. You like it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> if somebody comes in like, hey, you look like you lost some weight and you know you put on weight. Well, you're still going to eat it up. Right. And so that's kind of back to my to my business model question. You know, families like they get all this attention and adoration and, and they get caught up in it. And it's just. Oof. Regardless and it's a shared win because it's like the family won, we win. Yeah. You know, these this is this is these are these uh symbolic victories. Mm-hmm. I mean, you have people going out right um and saying, We did it, we did it. You know, what? <laughs> you realize you didn't get justice right. Yeah, well, but if you say that you yeah. might get, you know, you but might it's not get even beat that. up or something. I mean, all I'm hearing is we have more work to do. Well, that's the that's the beat down. Yeah. I mean it's this this <laughs> It's like you won for a minute. Oh, now we're gonna right. beat you down okay, again. Yes, yeah. No, 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 no. There'll be no celebration. We have more walk, work to do. Lots more work to do. My control three. As a cult leader, you'll probably have some sort of mission for your followers, whether it be political, religious, or something else. The second stage is where you fix it in your followers' minds. And people won't necessarily accept what you say immediately because if you're a cult leader, you're probably saying something controversial, something novel, something anti-conformist along the lines of doomsday is coming, or let's kidnap people, or hand dryers are the work of the devil, they're loud, they're slow, and you know what? You probably think that they're better for the environment, but the optimistic studies say that they're only 20% better, while some others say that they're not even greener at all. Did you know that hand dryers actually increase the bacteria on your hands by 117%? You're better off not washing your hands at all. Hand dryers kill. That was just an example. (laughs) And and let me me be clear. We're not just talking about Black Lives Matter. We're talking about uh, one of the biggest cults is is the green Green, you understand oh, the, the, oh, hell yeah. Yeah, the, the um, climate change, climate emergency, the climate change. Yeah, yeah. The, the, and, and it's prophecy. It's a, it's, it's a religion. The world's going to end in twelve years. Ooh, that's a good way to say it. when someone says it. Oh, I didn't know you were religious. <laughs> Watch the brain <laughs> that's, fry. <laughs> that's exactly what it is. It's a prophecy. Yeah. It's wow. like, what, where's your proof? It's like it's like no, the, like the it. elder said yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I like it. I'm going to use that from now on. Wow, I didn't know you were into religion. Mm. It's great. And speaking of which, so how did they get you here? And now we got to go to one of the fan favorites. And I'm not saying this. I've got a lot of feedback on this. It, oh, was, yeah. it was the show I wanted to do for myself. Show mm-hmm. 55, Trapper's Delight, where we uh, visited the, uh, the victim mindset. How do you stop these mindsets from becoming mind traps? No, no one likes feeling trapped. Can you remember the last time you were trapped? The problem is we have these thoughts And our thoughts, fortunately and unfortunately, can create feelings, feelings both in the here and the now. And it's not necessarily what happens to you, but it's the messages that you give yourself about what happens that determines your feelings. And not only do our thoughts create all of our feelings, but the thoughts that defeat us are almost always fraudulent. 
or wrong or distorted or illogical. And sometimes they can form a a cycle, a mentality that becomes a trap. So how do you know? How do you know when a mindset has become a mind trap? There's an ancient Greek philosopher named Epictetus who said this, that we are disturbed not by things, but by the view in which we take of them. We think it's the circumstances that are, depic- that are, that are disturbing us, but no, it's, it's our view of them that's actually disturbing us. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm all in on that. It's perception, not reality. Yes. That's why you can have somebody that's 250 pounds, 6'9", and has almost a billion dollars, they say they, they're scared to go outside. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and many people believe it. Oh, man. Yeah, sad. Yeah. No, I mean, just think about that. You have yeah. all the resources. You have the physical strength uh, not to be harmed if you choose not to be. You have the resources to put protective measures around you, and you sell, or you either, either you're selling or you're uh, buying. I don't know which one at this point, but... Um, and that who I'm speaking about is uh, King James, but I, 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 I told you, I told you they were going to be on his head. And, and the fact that he didn't come out and say he was going to uh, publicly support the vaccine, that is part of the scrutiny he's receiving right now. Mm. Don't, don't, don't get it twisted. Do not get it twisted. And, and, and I'll say this, his, the, the day after that, when he made that, that uh, errant tweet, <laughs> just put it lightly, um, he had to drop a pro uh, uh, COVID podcast episode. Oh, really? The first of his kind that was non-sport. Yeah. Oh, bro. I missed that. The more than the athlete. Yeah. Podcast. Yes. Mm. I, I, the pressure. I'm trying. But they need that. But now we get to get. Now we got to go into cult leaders. And Bob Woodson tried to warn us about cult leaders. First of all, you cannot generalize about the black community anymore or any other people. We are not monolithic. We have difference in education, difference in income, and when it's convenient, we generalize the black community, and we use the demographics of those who are living in the most troubling situations. We use the demographics of of incarceration, of low-income housing. We use that demographic information to make a case that all blacks are suffering. And then when the money arrives, it goes not to the people suffering the problem, but those who are providing service. For instance, in the last 50 years, the government spent $22 trillion on programs to aid the poor. 70 cents of all those dollars go not to the poor, but those who serve poor people, they ask not which problems are solvable, but which ones are fundable. Then you have black elected officials, many of them were veterans of the civil rights movement, who then came into political office. They were the ones who were dispensing those funds. And listen to this. Two out of 10 whites who, with college degrees, works for government. Six out of 10 blacks with college education works for government, which means that the vast amount of money that has been spent on the poor that has produced and reinforced dependency have been administered by a lot of middle class blacks. (laughs) Don't don't look at Baltimore. There's your cult leaders. Yeah. He's explaining to isn't that the the missionary model? We go and collect resources on them saying of the lowest. 
No, oh, send oh, money absolutely. to Africa, oh, absolutely. send money to absolutely. here, there, mm-hmm. and absolutely. the money never makes it to them. The only this- cult that, that does it with rich people, to my knowledge, is Scientology. Right. Yeah, you're right. You're right. But most of the, the missionary model is set not 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 taking shots at any missionary. I'm just saying that's the model mm-hmm. that we're collecting money on the behalf of the downtrodden. Right. And and that's what's happened. Entered one Miss Patrice Colors. So I want to pivot to the reason why uh, you're here. Uh, in the last few weeks, there have been stories that have become very prominent in the national media around you and particularly around uh, issues of spending, issues of income. Specifically, uh, there were two stories that came out that talked about uh, you purchasing homes. Uh, the report, you reportedly purchased uh, four homes and we're looking even at another home. Uh, I believe in the Bahamas, there were conversations about how you spend money. And the stories also had a lot of innuendo about the source the relationship between your money and your spending and the and the uh and questions around blm global movements uh finances so the first thing i want to do is talk about what's true that has been said and what has been untrue oh good i'm curious i want to start thank you mark um i want to just start by saying something that's really important for people to hear okay and that's um i have never taken a salary from the Black Lives Matter Global Network Foundation. And um, that's important because what the right-wing media is trying to say is the donations that people gave to Black Lives Matter went towards my spending. And that is categorically untrue and incredibly dangerous. Huh. That's an interesting <laughs> framing. I, I'm, I'm not so it, sure it, that that's what people were thinking, honestly. She said, I never took a salary. <laughs> she was very specific. She said, I never, she didn't say I never took any money. Yeah, salary. Well done, Mo. She she took Black Lives Matter stocks, mm-hmm. ticker tape, ticker BLM. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> that's what she took, not yeah. a salary. And, you know, I didn't get rich off the donations. She's very careful. How she, I mean, almost to the point of a politician. <clears throat> Not just almost, totally. And then she starts out, let me say this. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Mark, for, you know. <laughs> very performative. <straight> <laughs> yeah, very performative. Very, uh, and, and this is very important. So uh, this is what I want you to focus on. It's not, not really the truth. Just a fudge. And this is how tone deaf they are, or she is, or maybe it's just a way of the, the, um, um, humiliating and demeaning her followers she's on her youtube channel doing hauls do you know what hauls are uh hauls h-a-u-l-s hauls yes yes is a haul is that related to a drag no what happens is (laughs) when you go shop (laughs) oh uh, sorry not like when you go shopping yes when you go shopping and get all these you know lavish things really now oh adidas yeah adidas sent me these shoes thank you beyonce how did adidas know your size <sighs> wow and these are the kind of things i have to cover on the live because you have to see the <laughs> you, you gotta to see it the, to believe it i'm sure you have to see the interest and the visuals that go with it on her youtube channel thank you thank you beyonce for sending me uh adidas or whatever wow. shoe company she with wow yeah <sighs> Ever, ever since is that, that to that, demoralize ever, or is that and, just yeah. to, well she got the, she got that Netflix exposure coming up she's got Hollywood kissing her ass yeah it's perfect that's how you do it she's an influencer as well 
colors too. So you haven't taken a salary. Um, so your income that you use to make whatever purchases you've made have come from outside income. You, you've mentioned on your IG and other people have talked about uh, speeches, uh, studio deals, uh, book deals for your book uh, when they call you a terrorist. Your income has not come from working directly with uh, uh, BLM, GM. That's correct. Yeah. Um, I'm a college professor, first of all. Um, I also am a TV producer and I have had two book deals. Uh, my first book that came out was a New York Times bestseller. Uh, and uh, I also um, have had a YouTube deal. And so, oh. so much of my, all of my income comes directly from the work that I do. But I also want to say something, um, Mark, that feels really important. Um, organizers should get paid for the work that they do. They should get paid a living wage. Um, and the fact that the right-wing media is trying to um, create hysteria around um, my spending is uh, frankly racist and sexist. <laughs> and um, also, I want to name that many of us who end up uh, investing in homes in the black community often invest in homes to take care of their family. So um, homes uh, that I bought directly support the people that I love and that I care about. Well... Now let me just let me just think about this. For a in, in mostly white communities, I well, say that. Of course, <laughs> of course, you know where she's going to go. Um, fair point. I mean, it's it, it's a fair point for her. Just to, you know, her money, however she got it, I don't know. Uh, I, I have no. My, it's my not. Thoughts. It's not. Not for me. I'm, I'm <laughs> not well, for me. Uh, no, I have to say. The reason why I'm saying this is, you say you're Marxist. You say you're for the people. You speak in the terms of living wage, but you're buying four homes all across the globe in, 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 in these oh, uh, oh. neighborhoods that you say that the oppressor lives in, yeah. but you don't mind being the, the, the neighbor of the oppressor and you know, saying going to the oppressor Starbucks and take <laughs> money from... And we know how these book deals work. Oh, Come no, on. No, I mean, she's hypocritical for sure, but... Uh, what she said there was factually like, all right, you can spend your money, whatever you want it on. It's just, it's, it's, she's a hypocrite and she comes across as a hypocrite and the whole movement seems hypocritic. Um, and it's not discussed really at all. This is, and I don't even know where this was from, but that probably was not some mainstream, uh, chat she did. No, there. they tucked it away. Of course yeah, they tucked yeah. it away on this. Uh, I mean, you, that's, that's Mark Lamont Hill and he's on a YouTube channel news station oh, yeah. Yeah, i mean yeah, not to yeah. knock it and i'm be, I'm be and honest way, with you because i'm really a, i'm really hurt right now yeah, she's not a friggin creative she's not a creative she makes nothing creative nothing we saw that bull crap stuff that she done and she has an ad now the electric slide against white supremacy or some crap <laughs> no, it's she, like what no she's a she's not she's a um a brand you know an icon a a, a figurehead she's a cult leader Ooh. full stop what she is she's a cult leader we've seen it before we see it all the time and I mean, it just irks me because she's they collect money on the behalf of people and the money uh, never makes it to i see what you're saying okay yeah okay i got you she is david the david koresh of blm or jim jim jones jim jones, or, <laughs> jim or jones is better who, yeah it just irks me and we know where your money really comes from 32 
And I have a very, very uh, specific idea that we need to explore seriously, which is that the anti-Bernie Sanders tinge of the Black Lives Matter movement recently could be George Soros-funded AstroTurf. And I will speak as specifically as possible, Lewis, (laughs) and then I will allow you, Lewis, to tell me what you think about this. Uh, It's widely on record that George Soros, the liberal billionaire, has poured a ton of money into two movements that were instrumental in creating Black Lives Matter and the buzzword. Dating back to January, we knew that George Soros spent over $30 million bankrolling Ferguson demonstrators. And of course, Ferguson relates to Officer Darren Wilson, who killed unarmed teenager Michael Brown and was ultimately not charged. This includes support by George Soros of groups like Color Lines News for Action, Organization for Black Struggle, which established itself then established the Hands Up Coalition. Soros also gave money to the Drug Policy Alliance, which worked on pushing Black Lives Matter as a buzzword, which has right. since been incorporated into speech- speeches by political figures, including Hillary Clinton. Oh, man. How, how, and that's David Pakman, a uh, uh, liberal. Right. How quickly we forget. And, she, and what she wants to do, and that's from show number seven, More Money, More Problems. That shows you how long we've been saying yeah. this. Show seven, we're at 30, 62, excuse me. <laughs> we pointed out, pointed this out a long time ago. And this thing, the thing is, everybody has contempt for these mega preacher, mega church preachers, Joel yeah. Osteen and, and the people of that nature. They're doing the exact same thing. It's the exact same. You plan on people's emotions to collect money from them. And you go on these foundations and these corporate um, companies to say, we can sell you. It was a thing that Catholic Church used to sell to sinners to say, you know what? We know you sin, but you can buy your way into heaven. And that's what they say to these corporations. You know, we know. And I'm a, I got to bring this up. It was another uh, another lady named Tamika, um, Tamika Mallory. She's in got in with the uh, Black Lives Matter ilk. And she's doing Cadillac commercials at the same time. GM has a case. Yeah, GM has a case going on where they had nooses hanging in their uh, one of their facilities, and the people were called boys, and you're saying all kind of stuff. So how how do you go and do that kind of thing? It just irks me because at the same time, a person like Neo can't say a black man sacrifices his life for his children. He shouted down, but y'all sell that privilege to a Nancy Pelosi and the Democratic Party. That's bullcrap. Yeah, well, we need someone to be speak. Well, whenever someone speaks up, they're, you know, like Kanye, you know, called nuts, shoved back in the corner, shut up. Of course. Yeah. That's, hmm. that's, the, that's, the, that's, that's what the, that's what, that's what parts that hurt me. Yeah, but if not, you want to have a fair conversation, yeah. let's, con- let's have a conversation on the facts. But it's no, it's, that's not how it works. And there, I'm going to say this. They're nothing but mega, uh, uh, but nothing but cult leaders, and they have a mega church called BLM. Mm-hmm. That's all it is. And then you have Antifa. You have all these different mega churches, whether it's uh, um, you got uh, global this, warming it, or whatever yeah. else. But even BLM has spin-off churches. They've got little subdivisions, just like the mega yeah. churches. Mega churches have have churches in other counties as franchises. well. They yeah, own, franchises. Yeah, franchise. <laughs> franchise. Exactly. They own it. Yep. Wow. And just to give you an example of a mega pastor, 33. I have sinned against you, my Lord. Okay. 
TV evangelist can be a little over the top, but Creflo Dollar's appeal for a private jet may take the cake. We are believing for 200,000 people to give contributions of 300 U.S. dollars or more. Doing the math, that's $60 million. The head of the World Changers megachurch in Atlanta asked for the donations in this almost six-minute video, dub project G650, as in Gulfstream 650. Dollars already a high flyer. We're about to land in Nairobi, Kenya. But it seems his current jet, built in 1984, is showing its age. Engine trouble on a flight to Australia. And more recently, when his wife and daughters were taking off from London, it went off the runway. It's not like a car where you can pull over on the side when something goes wrong. And uh, I knew it was time to begin to believe God uh, for a, a new airplane. It didn't take long for the story of the Jesus jet, as some have dubbed it, to take off, and not in a good way. This woman is a former parishioner. She showed up Sunday to protest, but got told to leave church property. Crystal Allen didn't have a jet when I was here, and now he has one, and he's asking for another one. But parishioner Mary Jones, who takes the bus to church, says she'd happily give to Dollars Jet Drive. Most definitely, most definitely. We support our pastor. That's what we're here for. Now, a lady catching the bus trying to pay for a passive $65 million second jet. Well, hold on, hold on. It was the Jesus jet. I got to give the it guy was the that. Jesus the jet. branding is great. But here's the thing, though. This is CNN covering this story, and this is what I'm talking about, about justice. Yeah. If we're going to be just, then we need to come at her the same way we came at him because yeah. they're running the same scheme and you're victimizing the same people. You have a little black lady here riding the bus and giving money to a mega pastor. And the mainstream media is just... Now, did they did they excoriate this guy? Did they make fun of, of him? Of course did they, they did. Yeah, of yeah, course. Yeah, He's yeah. a black man. Come yeah. on. Adam, <laughs> come on. <laughs> oh, my goodness. It's fantastic. Well, we don't have no Jesus jet. But we do love us some new money. I like brand new money. I just, I don't want any money around me. It's not, I'd almost rather have a, a new one than a brand, than an old 20. Now that's kind of dumb, isn't it? But there's something about new money that excites you. You like $100 bills? Oh yeah. I like oh. new money too. Oh, most beautiful thing on earth is a $100 bill. I hadn't seen a woman as good looking as a $100 bill. <laughs> there's something about a $100 bill that excites you. Oh man, we 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 really need to study those uh, those steps those guys take. <clears throat> they really yeah. We, get, we don't have a Jesus jet, but we do have much more important to the MoFact show. Uh, we do have a number of producers who came in under fifty dollars who we do want to thank, and that's a lot more impactful to us than some Jesus jet. Thomas Gilkison is riding our jet here. Tommy G sends a Colt 45 for 45 Savage donation with $45.45. Thank you, Mo and Adam, and to my brother Jim for passing the blunt. All right. Uh, Steely Sime? Steely Sime? Steel, Steel, Steel Sime? I think Steel Sime. Steel Sime. Okay, there we go. 3666. Thank you, Mo and Adam. Uh, Steel from Melbourne, Australia. Curtis Thomas sent $35. Thank you, Curtis. Vince Tillman, 3333. Just caught you on live on YouTube. Great stuff. Ah, yes, is uh, the MoFax interludes. Uh, <laughs> Cortland Richardson, 3333 from Cortland. Your hetero flexible ADOS sysadmin from Seattle, Washington. I never miss a show. 
and we appreciate that, Cortland. Dodge Gaskill, great job to both of you, value for value, with 3333. Same from Greg Edwards, who says, what more needs to be said? My mind is melted with every episode. First time donor, so if you can get a D dead beating, please. Congratulations. You're no longer a deadbeat. And he wants an original Wusa. 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 And Greg also wants it. Wusa. <laughs> Give a quick shout out to his smoking hot Tiff. Thanks, Mo and Adam. Greg from Chicago. Kyan or Kian. Thank you for your courage. Twenty-five dollars. Uh, Brian Mickey. Twenty-five dollars. Great show. Value for value. Sam Smock says, Mo and Adam, thank you so much for what you're doing. I've been so fascinated with the topics you discuss on the show, but have never been able to find, but have never been able to find a source of information even close to as good as the one you provide. I'm going back and listening to old episodes, and I probably missed it. But did you know that the Brianna Taylor case is intertwined with an Opportunity Zone situation? Forgive me if this was already covered on the show. I haven't listened yet. It's been both riveting and slightly traumatic to relive the 2020 timeline through old episodes of the show. Mm, did we know that? No, actually, we haven't covered that case, and we make it a habit not to cover open cases mm-hmm. because we just, we want to talk about it in the finality, like we're doing this here, right? So, um, yeah. So that once that comes to a close, then we we can look into that. Yeah, he also has uh, some other stuff, which I guess he sent you as a second part of the note <clears throat> yeah, with some yes. stuff attached. Okay, so that'll come up when we when we uh, when we take a look at that case when it's time. And Sam, we thank you for your $25 donation. Uh, uh, Alex Mesa, 2222. And he sent you, let's see, he sent us both a link to a documentary. Let me see. The Minds of Men. The Minds of Men. Have not seen it yet. Yeah, that's from Aaron and Melissa Dykes, uh, government documentary. Oh, I know Gary. Yeah, I know who Aaron Dykes is. Is he still alive? Mm -hmm. Didn't he? Did he? I want to say, if he was still alive. I'm not sure. Yeah. I'm not sure. Uh, $20.23 from Erkan Uktem, who says, I met a couple of Dutch people. It's crazy how popular Adam seems to be over there. <laughs> it's all an illusion. Seems. It's all an illusion. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for keeping me sane, Mo Adam. All the best from Berlin. Nukon Er Jan. Thank you. Shazir, value for value, $20. Thank you. Steve Edwards, double X. That's right. $20. Makes sense. Susan Tillett. With $20, atonement versus restitution, question regarding word usage. I really like the legal approach you are taking, but as a paralegal, I'm just curious, why aren't you using a legal term, namely restitution? I figure you have a reason, but I don't think I've heard you discuss it on the podcast. Admittedly, I can get a bit like a dog with a bone when it comes to the law, so I may have missed something subtle in your discussions. I think it's purposeful. The reason why I want to use the word atonement because that's coming from the person that's paying, not being demanded from the person that's being paid. And the reason why the understanding is that is if you don't have anything tangible, then don't ask us for our vote. If you're not willing to atone, you know what I'm saying, don't come and ask us to bail you out when it's time to vote. But you also, you know, since I will be, of course, arguing the case in the Supreme Court, uh-huh. uh, I yes. would, I'm going to say the restitution is atonement. Yeah, yeah, but, but I would say the the point of using the word atonement is because it's the person wants to do it. <laughs> That's why the recompense and there's another loaded word they like to use that I think it was a couple of shows back we pointed it out. Um, that can be sound that sounds hostile, you know. That, yes. That's why I want to. Yeah, yes, it's 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 very it's very it's nuanced, but it, it's important. 
yeah, stuff like payback, you know, all, all that stuff <laughs> doesn't work. All right. Thank you, Susan. And uh, you're now the official paralegal of uh, the MoFAC show. Just so you know, you're hired. Uh, and we'll need lots of help. And please keep us on the straight and narrow when it comes to legal stuff. Uh, Stephen, please, yes. <laughs> Stephen Polamain, $20. Absolute props to you and Adam for episode 61, covering the Vax propaganda and not being afraid to say loudly and proudly, you will not be taking it. Yep, still not taking that. Susan Hinkle with uh, 20 bucks. You're amazing. Thank you for sharing your wealth of information. Sue, also known as Blue Raven. Uh, thank you, Lynette Poppy, for your $20 donation. And Shazir comes in again, so that's 20 total. Hey, Mr. Mo, have a good night. So that's probably two episodes. Charles yes. A. Fonsonda, uh, X is down payment on all the value. Thal- Sal- Salmon Spawn is the nickname. Thank you. Anonymous J, $10. Thanks, Anonymous J. Ernest Benoit. Uh, sending you guys another X. Thanks for the always illuminating content. Keep the positive mental attitude, Sir Ernesto, PMA. Brent Simpson, first donation. Thanks for all you do. This and no agenda make me feel sane. Us too, Brent. Trust me. $10. Thank you. Peace and blessing. Another Mo, a brother Mo. Appreciate you. Love you. And here for it. Thanks for all you do. That's from Kyla Vincent Brown with $10 donation. Cameron White says, in the morning with 6.33. Vincent Farrell says, love the information with 5.55. And there's Terry, the human subscription keller, as always, with 4.11. No note, but we see you. And Jacqueline C. Lay, 3.33 from Mama Bear. And finally, a $1 donation from Michael Hanna. And that wraps up our all of our producers for episode 62 of MoFax with Adam Curry. It can't be done without you. Thank you so much for that. Thank you so much. Uh, also consider picking up one of those podcast apps that are in the show notes. <clears throat> uh, you can find that at archive.mofax.com because, uh, uh, you know, we want to make sure that we have all avenues open. We see the future with podcasting 2.0 value for value streaming payments. And you also help out our first producer uh, or co-producer, which is uh, Dreb Scott, who does chapter work for us. And as we continue, we'll have more of these splits. Um, go ahead and take a look at what that's all about podcastindex.org but most importantly come back next week or in two weeks for the next episode of mofax with adam curry go to mofax.com or directly to our donation page at mofundme.com all right now we're here yay <laughs> um home stretch you, everybody you, allu- you you alluded to it earlier now we have to address the pink elephant in the room mm-hmm. and that was that's george floyd's drug drug use yes. which this has been a very contentious point uh, and, and very divisive point in, in people seeing eye to eye on this uh, on this situation. So what I want to do is, since the media has done everything to dehumanize George Floyd from being caught of uh, uh, everything under the sun, including a sacrifice, I want to give perspective from the addict's perspective. Very good. Because clearly, and I, I want to give this one, I want to keep, we got to keep it 100. Clearly, off the videos that we saw of him in the store, he was under the influence of something. Oh, yeah. I can't say what it is. And then, I mean, of course, with the test as well. But that doesn't dehumanize a person. That doesn't make... But that that thing... that I believe that gives people... Certain people, when you have an addiction, to treat you like human trash. Mm. And that's not cool. That's not cool at all because these are people... And if you ever have family members that struggle with addiction... You know they're struggling. That I think that got lost in this whole thing. That, and I just want to give perspective. And to do that, 
there's this, there's a source called the soft white underbelly and they go to skid row and they actually interview people off of skid row i mean they they're they don't bring them in they actually set up on skid row and interview them there and in it they have they interviewed a, a heroin addict named kevin all right kevin kevin uh, where'd you grow up where are you from originally uh, i grew up in um south los angeles area um in the uh, neighborhood of Crips, Raymond Crips. Were you in gangs as a kid? I started gangbanging around the age of 12. 12. And tell me about your family. You grew up with both your parents? Yes, I had both my parents in my life. I'm a middle child. Um, How was your childhood? Actually, uh, my childhood, actually, um, I grew up in a, a, a well taken care of family, actually. Um, like I said, I'm a middle child. We have uh, an older brother and younger sister. You know, as a middle child, you know, we, I felt neglected, which is probably not true. I just felt that way. And, <laughs> yeah. You know, it took me towards uh, other routes. Yeah, gangs. Modern, Exactly, gangs. Um, Tell me about your life after uh, you joined the gang. What's what going on there? Um... Actually, uh, let's take this, take take it back right before then. I actually uh, was on the right path, you know, good grades. I made the honor roll. Uh, uh, you know, one of the top students in my class. And until um, you, you know who you hang with is who you are. That's the model, and that's actually true. And, you know, I hung with certain kids in the neighborhood, and I got used to that, used to that lifestyle. And it took me to get. Um, to take a bullet to um, understand that life is real. Gosh. Damn. So here we have a guy comes from a two parent household, yeah. smart kid, but just caught up in the wrong crowd. Mm-hmm. And his life spours out of control. Uh, I guess we can go on to get in clip two. This is when I was 14. That was the first time I received a couple of them. Yeah. Um, they, you call this the uh, tibia? Yeah. And, um, Did it break the bone? It shattered the bone, actually. Oh, wow. And um, the bone exposed to the air, which caused me to have what they call osteomyelitis, which is a bone infection. And osteo means bone, molasses means infection. And during the time of my bone infection, um, I was prescribed narco. And the first time I ever took a narco, one that first that first narco, that first pill, I told myself, wow, I love this shit and I'm addicted. I swear to God to you, the first time I felt that when it kicked in, I felt that high. I said, this is a high like no other. And ever since then, man, I've been chasing that high. And um it, you know, it it, it, it progresses from narco to actually starting biking into narco from narco to Percocet from Percocet to oxycodone without the um, Tylenol inside the problem. Oxycodone just straight dope and um, what got me really on it was uh, the street value of oxycodone 30 milligrams in um, South Los Angeles street value is from $15 to $20 a pill and um, that's uh, if you sing a lot of pill in wholesale price, uh, $10, $12. But anyway, I was able to get my hands to get that pill for a dollar. Oh, man. Oh, oh, 
yeah. Yeah, that's Purdue Pharma. Pharmaceutical companies. Yeah, yeah, big pharma, Purdue Pharma, who paid a couple billion dollars in fines. You didn't hear about it. Uh, they were all found guilty. Felony murder rule. Yeah. Oh, felony murder felony, rule. No, I should have caught that You see that what I'm one. saying? Yeah, of course. No, you, 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 no, because if we go and find Hoffman's right. drug dealers, <sighs> and there's this, there's this oh, man. myth a misconception that there's not an opioid problem in the black community and there is and it's you know and and you know what this is another one of those things where the way the media frames it oh they're just white people trash yep yeah middle america yeah right but but then they also say well they're struggling with a problem when it was crack it was like they're animals. They're super predators. They're you know you see what I'm saying. Yeah, of course I do. That the way they frame that is, it's not because of who's doing the drugs. It's because who who is selling the drugs. The fact that they would have to perp walk doctors, and that ain't gonna happen because doctor had lobbies. This is such an important connection you're making uh, between the. Uh... Give it to me again. What it's called the 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 felony murder rule. felony murder rule. That is such an important connection you're making here. That now that's some white supremacy right there. Systemic racism. Mm-hmm. When you don't have, you haven't seen a doctor. You know, say a rash of doctors perp walked. <laughs> Where are these people getting these? And you heard Kevin say himself, narco to Percocet from yeah, Percocet to right oxycodone. Yeah, that's the path. And then he said it was in the streets, cheap, a dollar a pill. Yeah. And, and that, I want to show you another thing. The reason why I use pink elephant, pink elephant is a mix between fentanyl and heroin, mm. which is eight times stronger than the regular heroin, which it takes four to five doses of Narcan to get you out to of pull it. people back. Damn. And guess what? The Narcan prices have went from <laughs> no, the six Nar- a dose <laughs> to, to $30 a dose. <laughs> it's crazy. Of course. Of course. Wow. Don't you see here? They give you the cheap dope. They give you the cheap or uh, solution. Is, and the and the <clears throat> the one dollar a pill. It's the same pill. It's just they're just selling it cheap on the street. Right. That's disgusting. Where are they getting this abundance of pills from? <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, where well, they getting it from the from the pill mills from the doctors who uh, who just buy that shit up. That's what people were convicted. I mean. Uh, paid a fine for no one went to jail but that's exactly what was happening they were selling stuff really cheap through these pill mills and then it just went into drug dealers and they would they could charge whatever because the pills are almost free to manufacture and then when the uh inventory dried up the prices shoot up yeah then you start the, the, then the, the shit the, starts happening then then they have the, uh the uh addicts for lack of better word they had to find cheaper resources. Yeah. Kevin three. So you can imagine me able to get my hands on that pill for $1. You go crazy. You go nuts. So once I lost that, um, that value, that dollar value, I started experiencing withdrawals. And being sick, dope sick. I never thought that, I never thought I'd experience, I never thought I'd get to that point. I never thought that it'd happen. It happens. And, um, you'd rather fucking be dead, man. You'd rather be dead than feel that feeling, that dope feeling, man. So, um, yeah. 
Yeah. And I felt that 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 dope sick. Um, I knew what opiates is, and I knew that heroin is an opiate, and I knew that it is it's actually also affordable. So, um, by me knowing knowing that, I knew about Skid Row downtown Los Angeles. I decided to take a take a trip down here, and the first person I encountered, man, I asked where you know where the dope, where the heroin. The first person I encountered, he had it. I took that dope, went home, I'm by myself, you know, with nobody, nobody got me on this. I went to the house, and believe it or not, I, you know, we got these Android phones. I went to YouTube, and uh, I'm trying to see how the hell I'm gonna do this drug. Oh man, the cartel now, is YouTube. complete with YouTube instructional videos. How to. Ugh. Now, if you say don't wear this or don't do take this, they pull your videos down. <laughs> but if you tell people how to shoot dope, Leave oh, yeah, go ahead. How to. It's, instru- it's educational. And what he say, he made that transition, not out of choice. <laughs> I'm dope sick. Yeah. I, I, I need affordable. I need an affordable replacement for the high that this gateway drug, you know, saying that, you know, that he, I mean, he didn't get start getting high because he wanted to because he got shot. And he started taking prescription medicine. Yeah, a lot of people. And it's just, lot, pro- it just progressed. Yeah. And I just want to put something else on other people. My, I know I'm talking a lot, but I want to stress this. If you're about to be arrested and you're an addict and you know you're about to have six days of hell. You're going to flip out. You might think about running. Yeah. It's like I got to give it an honest try. Because I know the next six days in this in this cell is going to be hell. This is uh, uh, Mo. Congratulations yet again. Uh, putting a human face on George Floyd in this manner is uh, spot on, and everyone should think about it. Because now, now the movie's replaying in my mind. Not the nine minutes of the knee, uh, all the stuff before it when he's crying and I don't want to go and I can't go and I can't get into the car. Uh, knowing that he's super high and he and he knows he knows it's only going to go one direction for him with that feeling, and and this is a common occurrence when people know they're about to go to rehab or detox or wherever else. Yeah, they take all the drugs they have, and you can see that on the show. Uh, and I'm only speaking. I don't never use hard drugs like that, so I'm only speaking from what I've seen. But you can see a show called Intervention. Once they know they made the choice to go to rehab, then they they binge out real bad. It's, it's time to party. Yeah, it's time yeah. to you know. It's, shit, I'm going to jail. I might as well. You were saying you know have this one last ride. Mm-hmm. But that's human. Yeah. I'm just. I had to say this stuff because this is why nobody got justice. Because if you go and arrest drug dealers, if 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 he would have if George Floyd would have been found innocent would they went me um uh, the chauvin would have been found innocent would they wouldn't have found george floyd drug dealers no no because he's a nobody in right. their eyes but right. hoffman <laughs> we got to go find you know but, why it's not because he's a celebrity it's because he's a commodity to these big hollywood mm-hmm, uh studios mm-hmm. he's valuable i'm sure he had insurance on him Ugh. this is this is me i, I Man, I'm trying to say, but this is this no, you, is what you, we have you, to you, look your at. Your point is very clear. It's really good, Mo. Very clear. Kevin Four. 
was trying my hardest to stay away from that needle, man. But I didn't like those two options. And uh, I got a grandmother who's a diabetic, man. I already had needles in the house. It was already in the house. So I got on YouTube. How in the hell do I bang this? How do I slam this? Bam! That first try, man, that shit shot, that blood shot, shot up in the It shot right up in that syringe, man. And here I go. Just pushed it. 10 seconds, five seconds, 10 seconds. That rush, it's a rush, man, like no other. I swear to God to you, that rush was, was 20, 100 times way more, way more powerful, way more better than that first Norco I told you I took. Really? <laughs> oh, shit. Huh? I knew it was, I knew it was, old. I, I, I fucked up. <laughs> I knew I wasn't going back to pills. That first time I banged it, I knew I was not going to take another pill again. But I thought to myself, I took so many pills, I thought I had fucked up my kidneys. And so I probably, I almost thought I was doing myself a favor. Wow, Mo. So I just did one YouTube search, how to mm-hmm. shoot heroin. Mm-hmm. Boom, right away. Three videos, one of which is published by CNN. <laughs> and another by the public, a Provincial Health Services Authority. Preparing your drugs. This is all uh, Vancouver. Uh, oh, it's just hey, how you injecting speedball. Holy crap. Well, that makes nothing and but sense. And if you say anything out of line, yeah. as far as medical, anything else medical. Well, there's something, there's something to be said uh, for the amount of times we are confronted daily in the media with uh, a hypodermic needle being plunged into somebody's body in yes. relation to this, you know? It's very, it's, it's, um, uh, you're, you're, uh, what's the term, uh, desensitizing. Very, very much so. It's kind of probably going to be a lot easier for a lot of, a lot of people to, to shoot heroin now that they've, you know, we're so desensitized to the needle. Are we getting there? Are we getting there? And another thing I want to point out what Kevin said, he says, I would rather die yeah. than be dope sick. So that means he would rather kill than to be dope sick. You see how that works? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm not saying him personally, but it's life or death. Mm-hmm. If you're suicidal, you could easily become homicidal. Two sides of the same coin, perhaps. Yes, because it's between me and that dope. I got to have it. Mm-hmm. And I don't care who, mama, grandma, Whoever else. And these and that's the thing. Those are real people that get victimized by, you know, abuser of drugs. They're family members. Yeah. It's not I mean it's not the you know, because it's like, well, I know they won't call the cops on me. It's it's crazy. And then you have this guy, another cult leader, Dr. Carl Hart, come out and say, Well, you know, shooting heroin ain't all that bad. People are, they have this idea of someone who uses heroin as some poor soul who is injecting the drug and is a slave to the drug. And they think that heroin is the reason for that person's problem because that person definitely exists. But the the person's problem is not so much heroin as everything else. Like Mm -hmm. the person might have co-occurring psychiatric illnesses. I always hear people say, well, I'm chasing that high I got the first time that I use it. But that's a real, is that a real thing? Because I've heard so many people 
say that on documentaries. Yeah, I know, because we are willing to accept that, right? Um, no, it, it, it's certainly true. Like, just think of the first time you enjoyed the, an orgasm. It's like, <laughs> it was amazing. Uh, for me, the first time, it's like, am I chasing the first time I had an orgasm? No, yeah. of course not. But although I, I do... I like that feeling. I, I like that but feeling. But orgasm can't kill me, can I, it? What? The orgasm can't kill you? You certainly can yeah, get killed. Can. Um, what do you guys think? Start with you, Yee. I mean, I understand, and he was stressing that he was not telling people to use drugs. He was saying for people that do use drugs, they're going to do it anyway, just like a lot of people do things you know you shouldn't do, but it does still happen, so how do you make it safer for people to do it? They didn't make me want to try drugs or want to use heroin or anything like that. Him saying that he used drugs and he wasn't addicted makes it kind of seem like it's okay in, in, in what he said. I'm from a different school. I know there's some parents out there that be like, hey, my kids are going to drink anyway. I'd rather them drink in the house. I'm not that parent. My parents weren't that parent. My parents were, no, you're not drinking and you're not drinking in my house. And if I catch you drinking, I'm going to bust your ass. Agreed. Yeah. <laughs> yes. But this, this, it's very, dang, and he's, a, he's a doctor. I don't think he's a medical doctor, but he's a, maybe a, a professor or have a PhD. Mm. But he's a doctor. So, you know, heroin's not all that bad. Um, but you know that myth of uh, uh, exactly what Kevin said. This actual Skid Row uh, addict that actually has an ulcer on his, his side of um, the size of a football on his arm, an open wound that he shoot dope into. Oh no, he don't know what he's talking about. But again, going back to Kevin, in the beginning that you know, he was a, a great student, and just by well, he got shot. <laughs> that could be my son. Two parent home, good kids, smart. Just get caught up with the wrong people, get shot in your life because you were given uh, pharmaceutical drugs without the appropriate, I guess, I, I don't know, education. Just, and it's not like the it's not like the medical industry didn't know heroin was addictive. We went through this in the twenties and the seventies. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's like not not like we didn't experience this before. Yeah. And they just come around with the same. Oh, you know that heroin that might work. You went to school for ten years. You can't figure out giving people heroin might have a problem. Yeah. Oh, man, it just it, it irks me because you have these smart people come along. Oh, well, you know, heroin's not all that bad. I shoot up. Uh, well, I shoot up every once in a while. It's interesting to see that the common denominator of issues uh, in the United States, but I would wager it's it's global. Um, we have, uh, and it's part of the homelessness problem as well. So we have a, a real drug problem in the United States, heroin. Ph- and, and one way or the other, I think the introduction is probably most often pharmaceutical. Um, mm-hmm. We have um, Black Lives Matter being sparked off uh, the protests in Minneapolis with, with a heroin addict. And uh, we have uh, the coronavirus lockdowns another biosecurity state pharmaceutical move it's all <laughs> it's all big pharma man it's like it, when it, no matter where you turn it, what's it, why is it not being discussed because they're advertising on tv so there's no there's no message and just because they're advertising on tv doesn't just mean that that um that there's no message against them it means they're controlling the message well and 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 to further your point, now Baltimore wants to stop prosecuting drug possession. <laughs> oh boy! I want to say, did you skip forty? Are you skipping forty? No, excuse me. I don't. Know. Uh, 
that that was forty. Excuse oh, me. That is forty. I'm sorry. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Hold, hold on a second. We, you still got time now, Mo? Yeah, I'm good. Okay. I am therefore announcing that our COVID policies will now become permanent and America's failed war on drugs, on drug users, and the city of Baltimore is over. A change in handling crime, the shift following a year-long study involving the Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health, looking at policies put in place to prevent the spread of coronavirus and how those policies impacted crime. These are Baltimore City State's Attorney Marilyn Mosby's first public statements since a lien for non-payment of back taxes was placed on the home she shares with her husband, City Council President Nick Mosby, and a federal probe into the couple's campaign records. So I'm not going to discuss that matter. I would refer you to my attorney. Mosby says she is working with police and other community partners. When it comes to those violent offenses, carjackings, murders, armed robberies, attempted murders, and drug distribution, we are still prosecuting you. The police will still arrest you. But on these low-level offenses, we are no longer utilizing our limited resources on these low-level offenses. She says prostitution, public urination, and other minor crimes will be handled as public health issues and turned over to the community partners that she's working with to find solutions. Crime is a symptom of the disease of our society. For years, we have asked the police to address this disease by locking people up. We merely address the symptom, not the disease. Today we have a prosecutor who has demonstrated a concern for equity, a concern for justice, and a concern for public safety. And this is the exact same words I was, Tina and I were just reading it uh, (laughs) this morning, in Austin, Texas, which we're going to move outside of. Um... The same thing, moving the police services, uh, even the management of 911 over away from the police department to the to city, community partners, to community partners. Exactly. And, and which is private industry. And, yeah, of course. And there's and there's zero evidence that this works. Or in fact, the evidence is contrary. It just it shows it's a horrible idea. And it's fascinating in this clip. She says. The lockdowns will stay, but drug use will be open up. <laughs> Coming from got, John Hopkins. You gotta, Hopkins. you gotta love it, right? It's, that's the way to talk. Yeah, of course. Now, all in while, Perfect. while she's dealing with uh, with uh, legal issues of her own. Yeah. And and as mm-hmm. a Baltimore resident, it kind of points it out in this short uh, clippy. It makes me wonder if there's some other motive behind the actual announcement. In other words, is it because um, we are trying to give the community a break, trying to give certain people the community a break, or is there some other political reason why the the, um, the prosecutors don't want to don't want to continue prosecuting? So that's my main concern. Is in other words, it's not that they don't want to. It's not. It's that it's it's a bigger picture that they want to try to solidify their position uh, in politics by making it appear that these things are no longer important. <laughs> Yeah, but we should have saw this coming because this was predictive programming in the show called The Wire. Okay, you know I've never. Re- I think I've watched one episode. I've never. I know all about it. Claire Danes, right? <clears throat> yes. I've never watched it. Totally understand the concept. People keep telling me I'm crazy. I don't watch it. I would love it. And I best TV show ever. I know. I best gotta, TV I, show I, ever. I got to put it on my list. I'm I'm crazy. And just to show the predictive programming. 
the birth of Amsterdam. As of this tour, all hand-to-hand undercover buys of CDS are suspended in the Western District. Somewheres back in the dawn of time, this district had itself a civic dilemma of epic proportion. The city council had just passed a law that forbid alcoholic consumption in public places, on the streets and on the corners. But the corner is, and it was, and it always will be, the poor man's lounge. It's where a man wants to be on a hot summer's night. It's cheaper than a bar, and catch a nice breeze, you watch your girls go by. But the law is a law. The Western cops rolling by, what were they gonna do? If they arrested every dude out there for tipping back a high life, there'd be no other time for any other kind of police work. And if they looked the other way, they'd open themselves to all kinds of flaunting, all kind of disrespect. This is before my time when it happened, but somewhere back in the 50s or 60s, there was a small moment of goddamn genius by some nameless smokehound who comes out to cut rate one day, and on his way to the corner, he slips that just-bought pint of elderberry into a paper bag. A great moment of civic compromise. That small, wrinkle-ass paper bag allowed the corner boys to have their drink in peace, and it gave us permission to go and do police work. Mm. The kind of police work that's actually worth the effort. That's worth actually taking a bullet for. So in this show, in the show, this uh, police officer named a veteran police officer named Bunny, and what he does is he convinces all the drug dealers to move their trade down to these abandoned or so-called abandoned blocks where people still live there, mm-hmm. but it's like out of sight, out of mind because right. he was tasked with getting the rest down, the percentages right. down. Right. So he's like, move it over. You know what I'm saying? Go down there. But he ends up creating an environment called Hampshire Dam, which looks like Skid Row. And he brings a pastor down there called Deacon, and this is what Deacon sees. What in God's name did you do here? Look, I'm just trying to make my district livable. I write off a few blocks in a few places, but I save the rest. No offense, but you like the blind man and the elephant. It's a lot bigger than what you got your hand on. You just can't see it. See what? A great village of pain, and you're the mayor. Where's your drinking water? Where's your toilets? Your heat, electricity. Where's the needle truck? The condom distribution? The drug treatment intake? Half these people are dying on their feet. And the other half's gonna catch what's killing them. Look, they ain't no worse off than when he was all over the map. Now they just in one place is all. And that place is hell. <laughs> and what he say? We sacrifice a couple of blocks. And this is what this is going to be extrapolated out to. We'll sacrifice the black neighborhood. Yeah. Because if you're not bothering the, 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 the drug users, they're going to stay there. 
because the last thing they want to do is get arrested. So they're like, <laughs> okay, we know these are safe zones. Yeah, that that's basically the east side of Austin. <laughs> yeah, and this guess what? This show was filmed in Baltimore. Yeah, I know. Almost 20 years ago. And now all of a sudden, they're the epicenter of legalizing drugs. And you want to tell me this was a coincidence? No. No, I can't tell you that. Can't tell you that. (laughs) No. And this is what happens when his bosses find out. Where is the West Baltimore drug trade? (laughs) I hope, Major, these are not staged photographs you're showing us. No, sir. They're not. No, Deputy. I found another approach. I'm all ears, buddy. I moved them off the corners. God damn it. Don't be coy with me, Major. I can see that. What I want to know is how the fuck you managed to move them and where the fuck they are now. Deputy, I don't know quite how to put this, but we, I mean, I, I began by identifying those areas of my district where drug trafficking was least harmful and proceeded to push all street-level dealing towards those areas. And at first, dealing with the juveniles on them corners, I had a little success. But uh, ultimately, by rounding up all the mid-level dealers in my district and making them offer they couldn't refuse, I was able you to... You made them an offer? Yes, sir. Either they moved their people to one of three designated areas where drug enforcement was not a district priority, or they face the wrath of every able-bodied soul in my district. Major, I don't understand. The only time we can hold a drug corner is when we assign offices to stand there. Your slides don't suggest any conservative deployment on any corners. How were you able to Jesus Christ, you nit, don't you see what he's done? He's legalized drugs. Actually, I elected to ignore them. He lost your fucking mind. He's lost his fucking mind. You in my office now. Oh, so that's uh, 20 years ago. And today we basically have the south side of Chicago. Very small area where all the crime is taking place. Yes. Wow. You waited 62 episodes to explain that to me? No. <laughs> the timing, timing, is, as my man E Class would say, timing. But all right, thanks. Okay, you know one of the biggest proponents. But well, no, that's not Southside Chicago. That's Baltimore. But I, it's, no, it's I know, but it's, but it's the same yeah. thing. It's the same yeah, it's thing everywhere. To sitting near you, yeah, yeah. exactly, exactly. Well, but that's what you do in a war, right? Or I mean, it seems to appear you surrender a couple of fronts. You know, but, but, them, but, you know. but this is my point: is that in Baltimore, in Chicago. Uh, soon, coming soon in Austin, in uh, in in New York City. Mm-hmm. It's all a very small area. It's all a small group of actors, and that's the black on black crime that is n- reported as a weekend statistic, but never really reported on because that's exactly what it is. Because they think it's going to be a drug utopia. Drug beefs are going to lead to murder, more murder. Right. Uh. A lot of times, people get clean by going to jail. Yeah, I mean, because they just have to be yeah. forced to get off of it. And I'm not saying I'm not advocating that if you can get them into rehab, that's fine. It or also, at least it also makes it right. really easy for the new users who are coming off of the pharmaceuticals to find where, as we heard from Kevin, to find where all the crap is going down, where you can buy it. What did he say? I went right to Skid Row, and the first skid person row. I bumped exactly. into exactly. Oh my god! Again, and sixty-two you know, <laughs> episodes. Okay. 
spoilers. And you know, one of the biggest uh, proponents of drug, uh, what they call uh, decriminalizing drugs, Vanita Gupta. You ever heard of her? Yeah, I have actually. What is? She, uh... I think she's trying to be. Uh, uh, she's trying to be appointed to the. I think deputy. What, what's the highest? Um, so she position d- in the Department of uh, State or Department State Department. It well, was Loretta Lynch, was it? Well, that would be Secretary of State. Yeah, but the deputy. She's trying to be the deputy Secretary of sure, State, right? That's, the, yeah, that's a big deal. That's what Victoria Newland was for Hillary Clinton. So, yeah, I'll, right. I'll, I'll well, look her up in the show notes. Well, what she's trying to do is she's trying to be confirmed. Well, we have as she's trying to be confirmed, this GOP senator brings up very interesting facts about her. Miss Gupta is the daughter of a gentleman who heads up a chemical company produces all sorts of chemicals for a variety of legitimate purposes and it looks like from her financial disclosure statement uh, he's been very successful and so has miss gupta in family trust worth tens of millions of dollars oh yeah I know much of it is. including the stock of aventor the company that her father heads well i realize miss gupta is not personally responsible as a shareholder in this company, but it is clear, I believe, from a investigative journalism story by Bloomberg, dated September 2020, that Aventor was selling acetic anhydride, an essential ingredient, and converting poppies to heroin. Holy shit! For at least the last decade, she owns tens of millions of dollars worth of that stock. I've asked the uh, Attorney General and the Security and Exchange Commission to look into Aventor's conduct because if, if, if in fact an American chemical manufacturer has been selling acetic anhydride in the country where they know that it will be available to the criminal cartels and drug runners, and they should know that 92% of the heroin made in Mexico using acetic anhydride manufactured by Aventor and its subsidiary in Mexico, that's a serious, serious problem. Okay, now this gets even better. It's coming back to me now. She was confirmed as Associate Attorney General. Mm -hmm. And uh, I did not know this at all about her family and her background. First of all, you look at this woman, she looks like, she looks like the angel of death, man. You've, you've got, I'll put a picture in the show notes. It's like, mm-hmm. But to hear all this, I mean, this is, you know, it's tied into this. The reason we're never <laughs> going to leave Afghanistan where all the poppies are. This of is, course this is, not. A, this is a huge, huge push and takeover. The, the pharmaceutical industry is shooting us up left and right. And if we won't do it ourselves, they'll force us to do it. Holy and you know crap. what? Holy all crap. the people, <laughs> oh, all man. the people that the Democrats supposed to support, the migrants, why are they fleeing? Because they're being forced to work for the cartels to grow the poppy. <sighs> that her dad's company allegedly sells the main ingredient to cut heroin or to manufacture heroin. Yeah, man, this is great. Oh, what a super clip, too. Let's continue on with 46. 
In May 2019, a small counter-narcotics unit was rolling down a country road in a rural part of Sinaloa, which was the center of the global drug empire created by El Chapo Guzman. They were overcome by a pretty powerful smell. They, they were literally stopped in their tracks. And it's one of the things that people on these counter-narcotics squads are looking out for, smelling out for in this case. So they got out of their vehicles and through a clearing of trees, they found five cauldrons that were being used to produce heroin. And they also found four jugs of a chemical called acetic anhydride that was made by a major multi-billion dollar American company. And the product brand was J.T. Baker. And that chemical is the only thing other than the sap from opium flowers that you need to manufacture heroin. And under international drug laws, it's one of the most highly controlled of these chemicals sold anywhere in the world, except Mexico. The great tragedy for me in investigating this was the idea that any American company could be involved in that, even if it's unknowing. It really made us feel like we had to do everything we could to expose this situation and make it public. Where was that from? That was from a special. I think. I think that was that Bloomberg report that they were speaking. Oh, you spoke about it. Great. I'll, I'll, I'll get you the whole. Clip. It's a whole like seventeen minute. Yeah, yeah. Love, uh, show and I, yeah. I'm gonna. This is not a drug addict show or drug abuse show. But I just wanted to show you, okay, if we're talking about the felony murder rule, I want her daddy hauled in. And her. And her. And her. Wow. Rico cases on all of them. This is a cartel. And we saw this before with the Clintons coming out of Mina. Mm-hmm. It, when I said the boys are back in town, the boys are back in town. Yeah, but they're rocking the, the horse this time instead of, the, instead of skiing the powder. Right, well. Oh. Hold on. But wait, the show's not but wait, over yet. But wait, there's more. So Kevin, poor Kevin, yeah. had cleaned himself up. And I'm going to show you the power of people. When he did that episode of, uh, that we pulled the first clips from, mm-hmm. the support he got in the comments led him to clean himself up and get drug free. That's how people work. When we talk about karma or whatever you want to call it. Yeah, That's the power people have when people support people. He's my cousin, my first cousin, but we grew up in the same household. We called each other brothers. And um, his name is Lorenzo Hall. And you know, that's my world, that's my that's my heart. Um, that's something I, 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 I ain't never, I ain't never endured that, that pain. I still am going through this pain. I, I don't think it'll ever heal. This, that, this pain, this loss that I took in, I, I, I wish I wish it upon no one, but I know we all have to go through it, and I know that some people have worse worse tragics than me. But this is my tragic, and I handled it the wrong way. I, I self medicated again on a drug that is um, opiate. They call it fentanyl. Um, right back. It's a recent thing. I've been smoking it. It's a very dangerous drug. And I I, I know that I, I shouldn't fuck around with this. 
So um, that's why I'm here today to let you guys know that I kind of fucked up a little bit and I need y'all help, y'all support. And um, why it's early, in the early stages of it. I get the hell off of that shit too. I kicked heroin ass, I kicked this ass too. Yeah, fentanyl's more dangerous than heroin. Even. Yes, it is. Brought to you by China. 48. By now, you may know a family shattered by the opioid epidemic. In 2017, there were 47,000 opioid deaths. That's more Americans than were killed in vehicle accidents or by firearms. One drug, fentanyl, is like rocket fuel in the sharp rise of this crisis. Fentanyl is a painkiller invented in the 1960s and used to relieve the agony of advanced cancer. It is 50 times more potent than heroin. But today, fentanyl can be ordered on the internet by drug dealers and addicts for an online overdose. The target said that he can get any drugs he could ever imagine over the internet from China. Cronin's investigators went online and discovered overseas labs offering most any illegal drug. And we just said, hey, according to the source's instructions, we're interested in buying fentanyl. And the result was, to say the least, surprising. We have dozens, probably over 50 different uh, drug trafficking networks reaching out to us saying, we have fentanyl. We have even more powerful fentanyl analogs. Whatever you want. We'll get it for you for cheap. We'll get it for you in bulk. You got 50 replies. At, at least. And all of these came from where? It was universally China. Uh, <coughs> <The> even <laughs> cheaper dope. Now I'm even, now I'm depressed. <laughs> The uh, even cheaper dope. So it's yeah. uh, it's the pharmaceutical, the heroin, and when you when you can't get heroin or people stepping on it with uh, what I call said pink elephant. Yeah, just they go to the fentanyl. fentanyl. And uh, guess who's the who's in bed with China, Mexico, and you know what I'm saying and the pharmaceutical company. Well, who and you tell me I'm supposed to be worried about the police? <laughs> and you think I'm supposed to be the my number one concern is the police? And I'm gonna say this, and you're saying, and we can wrap on this. Here's the thing: I don't care which side of the argument you are on this case, you didn't get justice. Period. And that should bother you, like it bothers me, because it, because if you thought you think you if you think it was murder one, and I, it should be four on, on trial for murder one. By, by the law of the land, not by my opinion. You can't pick and choose when you want to apply laws. That's the problem. And if you want to say he was not killed by that police officer and drugs killed him, I need to see a perp walker, Gupta, her father, and all the fentanyl supplies from China. If you got a Batman, zip line them in and pull them out. I don't care. Because if you really care, but you know what? And I say this to the end. This world don't care about really nobody but specifically black men unless we have something to offer george floyd had his life to offer offer there was another person popular struggled with addiction named dmx who lost his life it's the same thing now one half is saying it was drugs he had a relapse another half is saying he took the vaccine we need justice for him as well oh mo this is uh, probably one of the most impactful uh, episodes we've done. You really got to some core here, and it's so multifaceted. 
It is. It is right in front of our face. Yeah. It's right in front of our face. But we are being manipulated by the media, which won't tell us the whole story. Well, you definitely uh, helped get it, a lot of the story out on the on this episode, and uh, I appreciate it. I know everyone else who's listening appreciates it. The producers appreciate it. Um, if you want to support this work, please go to mofax.com. It is important. Uh, I mean, I, I personally get so much value from this, just learning and thinking and stuff that I completely know. And intellectually, it's like, oh, my God, like you get so I mean, even I I get fuzzy. I get clouded over. I get distracted. This was really good reset. In fact, it is the great reset by Mo Fax. Thank you, Mo. I, I just thank you again. It was fantastic. I can't wait for the next episode. I, I had to say it was I wasn't enjoyable making this because I had to deal with the 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 uh, programming myself, I got angry at sometimes. I, I mean, I'm not immune, uh, but luckily, I, I know I seek first to understand it and then to be understood. And as I always say, pay attention to everything and the truth will reveal itself. Ladies and gentlemen, fellow Americans, lady Americans, this is James Brown. I want to talk to you about one of our most deadly killers in the country today. I had a dream the other night, and I was sitting in my living room. I stole off to sleep, so I started dreaming. I dreamed I walked in a place, and I saw a real strange, weird object standing up talking to the people. And I found out it was Harold, that deadly drug that go in your vein. He said... I came to this country without a passport. Ever since then, I've been hunted and sought. My little white grains are nothing but waste, soft and deadly and bitter to taste. But I'm a world of power, and all know it's true. Use me once, and you'll know it too. I can make a mere schoolboy forget his books. I can make a world-famous beauty neglect her looks. I can make a good man forsake his wife, send a greedy man to prison for the rest of his life. I can make a man forsake his country and flag, make a girl sell her body for a $5 bag. Some think my adventures are joy and a thriller, but I'll put a gun in your hand and make you a killer. In cellophane bags, I found my way to heads of state, to children at play. I financed in China, ran in Japan, I'm respected in Turkey, and I'm legal in Siam. I take my addicts and make them steal, borrow, beg. Then they search for a van and the arm of the leg. So be you Italian, Jewish, black, or mixed. I can make the most world of men forget their sex. So now, so now, my man, you must you know, do your best to keep up your habit until your arrest. Now the police have taken you from under my wing. Do you think they dare defy me, I who am king? Now, you must lie in that county jail where I can't get to you by visit or mail. So squirm with this comfort, wiggle and cough. <coughs> Six days of madness, and you might throw me off.
Bust me a name, defy me in speech But you'd pick me up right now if I were in your reach All through your summer, you become resolved to your fate Fear not, young man or woman, I'll be waiting at the gate And don't be afraid, don't run, I'll not chase Sure my name is Heroin, and you'll be back for a taste Behold, you're hooked Your foot is in the stirrup And make haste, mount the steed And ride him well For the white horse of heroin Will ride you to hell To hell Will ride you to hell Until you are dead Dead, brother This is a revolution of mine. Get your mind together and get away from drugs. 